Wednesday means... Okay, okay, yes, Lawrence Kopnick, yes. Okay, well, you received your 12 introductory albums, and you've been receiving the monthly main selection for four months now. The monthly main selection? Is that a record? I didn't ask for any records. To receive the monthly main selection, you do nothing. You that's right. I haven't done anything. Yes, that's why you receive the monthly main selection. But I... The last, I, one, was, the last one was Santana Abraxas. I, you, I didn't ask for Santana you Abraxas? You request the main selection at the retail price by doing nothing. It's automatically mailed to you, plus shipping and handling. You're about to... I can't afford a new record every month. I haven't asked. You're about to get Cosmos Factory, sir, the June main selection. And look, look, something is very wrong. I don't want Santana Abraxas. I've just been in a terrible auto accident. Unless it's garbage. <laughs> and I was be like, don't do this. Hello there, and welcome to Pivotal Film. I am Tom Nolan. And I'm Mario Ponzio. And oh, is this episode eight, right? <laughs> this is episode eight. We God, did it's it. It's been so long. It's been a long... It's been, it's been too long since I've seen that beautiful upper face. I'm just doing what I gotta do. Look at those eyes. I don't actually mind wearing my mask. I took a sip of a drink the other day with oh, my I'm, mask on. I'm not making a comment about And I was like, I'm what saying. the hell's going on? And then I was like, oh yeah... You're, you're okay with me not wearing a mask. Yeah, it's your like, fucking house. Well, I've only seen like four people, so. That's why I'm here, Mario. That's I got invited to watch a game with, with a friend who I haven't seen in a while. This, the, the football games this Sunday. I was like, can't do it. Well, thanks, buddy. Can't do it. It's not worth it for football. See you, see you in spring. Yeah, I don't give a shit about football. Anyways, episode eight. We're back on the list for oh, a week. <laughs> We did this last year too. <laughs> we just like do by the end of the year we do these like brief stops like at our lists yeah. on our way to do other things. So. But then, you know, once once we're getting to February, it's going to be a long run race to uh, to the finish to, to number one. Mm. Um, you know, there's probably going to be a couple single episodes in terms of like redo your number four and it's the entire episode plus yeah. an a block or whatever well it's in the, um, there's just a lot of gonna, movies gonna deal with, yeah, too. yeah there is there's like, a, like Feb- it's a glut so february 12th has judas and the black messiah and we got like hbo max has a new movie coming out like every three weeks and so does ne- netflix has one literally every week well yeah. i think half well, I mean, of them are probably going to be garbage skip but, a lot yeah. of those nomadland's coming out hulu moroni uh Min- minari minari is going to Probably come out in VOD, I assume. It's going to have to because Nomadland's going to start eating its, like... Oscar chances, yeah, so... If, it's, if it doesn't kind uh, of do a push. So yeah. Um, we're, ba- we're back in the studios, the Pivotal Film Studios. Uh, you kept it up nice. Before we get into the bulk and the beers, Tom, you know, I read Armand White's review of Promising Young Woman. Oh, and it was, it was the typical... It good? You know, it was, it was, it was an interesting <laughs> review in that he said it was the first... Uh, the first like true film of the Biden uh, Harris era. Which so is I, I, read, I read that line and I was like, "This movie came out a year ago. Like, what's he mean?" He was just saying like, "Oh, the coincidental timing." When did he his like vernacular start to completely mirror Brett Easton Ellis's? Because like their reviews now come off exactly in the same intonation of tone. I haven't listened to I haven't listened to a Brett Easton Ellis podcast in a long time. Well, I haven't either. But like from yeah. the two and a half years ago where I listened to the Brett Easton Ellis podcast before it put it underneath the but. Patreon paywall. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like the intonation in his in in Armand White's tone 
is like directly tied to Brady Stanellis. I almost like when he posted that review, tweeted like, "When did you and Brady Stanellis start being the same person?" Well, I'm surprised Brady Stanellis hasn't had him on the podcast um, at all because yeah, they're like the same person. They have like the same general views on things. Do we think Armand White wants to be near a gay person? He is gay. Is Armand White gay? Yeah. Well, I didn't know that. Wow. He's one of those log cabin Republicans. He's a gay black Christian conservative. Wow. I did not know that. I mean, and that's, I think that's one of the things that people kind of like, I think to Ar- Armand White's credit, and I kind of, you know, I, maybe I intimated this on my little Twitter rant about Armand White. Um, I think people just kind of pigeonhole him. Like, yeah. you should like this based on these, like, you should have these political cultural values based on who you are. And he's just like, fuck you. I have whatever values I want. It's just weird. Ah, the promising young woman, he's taken. I don't know if you've read his last couple of reviews. He's taken on this new weird. So he's a he's a he's a stop the steal guy. Mm. He's also like thinks Christine Baisley Ford was faking or yeah. lying. Yeah, he went intensely into that about, in, the, like, in the promising Baisley young Ford woman believers, review. And I was yeah. like, well, yeah. He mentions her in his promising young but woman. But he did review. it two, in two reviews in a row. Wow, that one and the one before it. Why is he going back to that? I don't know. It seems really weird, and I, I and I just want to tell him like. Democrats, like, I believe Christine Basie Ford, but we're also, like, from a po- like a politics standpoint, like, Brett Kavanaugh's voted, like, against your value system a bunch of times. Yeah. Already. <laughs> like, I'm not sure like, who you're talking moderate about moderate now. Point. Like, people thought he was going to be, like, insanely right-wing, and, like, Gorsuch is, is kind of proving to be that, but, like, he's proving to be, like, Kavanaugh's proving to be, like, buddy-buddy with Roberts. I imagine Roberts likes beer, so I think that, that's yeah. what's going on there. I think him like and Roberts beer. just, like, Drown some beers. And Alito likes blood. Because <laughs> he's yes. a vampire. He is. Um, yeah, uh, he's weird. Speaking of blood, uh, the, the, the misery of four years has drained out of us. We're in a, in a newish day. Senate Minority Leader <laughs> Mitch McConnell mm-hmm. crying and is eating pieces of leaf on the uh, Senate floor as he slowly races his way down the line. He you know? should cry. Donald Trump is is now a non-entity. We don't know what he's doing, and nobody cares. No, I'm not. I mean, I'm not interested. And it's nice. It's nice watching a press conference get cut off halfway through because by NBC because it's boring. <laughs> because too much information. Tom, for the last four years, I've kind of felt like I've been every time I opened up the news or Twitter or anything, I felt like I was getting pulled one way or another, and felt insanely intensely like I was being tortured, almost. Like I was being drawn, drawn, drawn. Jesus, that was so good, and I ruined it. Drawn and quartered. Holy shit! Oh my god! This is Tom, drawn and quartered by oh. Nightmare Brewing, which did a collaboration of um with Fat Orange Cat to do um feed like feed me a stray cat uh-huh. for with a Brady oh, Stanellis, yeah. you know. Style thing. Uh, this is a, a they're an IPA of theirs. Uh, their artwork is uh, you know fun. They, they have a horror movie motif going on. Yeah. Tom, this is this is not an IPA. This is not a double IPA. This is not a triple IPA. Quadruple IPA. This is a tri- quadruple IPA. Dry hopped. What? A quadruple oh, man. IPA. Uh, with dry hopped with, with Nelson, you know, Galaxy, Enigma, and Citra hops. So you're pretty typical um, hops, but, uh, you know, done quadruple times. So much so 
that this beer's ten percent. But that doesn't even really seem like that much. Quadruple, I feel like, should be like thirteen or something. It doesn't, but most of your triples are like nine. Yeah. You know, this is ten. I don't know. It just was better than the the sour option. That, do, do get, well, do I don't get, even understand how that is a sour. The thing you described to me. Yeah. There's a possibility I get that that Connecticut style stout though. I'm gonna I'm gonna be honest with you, Mario. That's delicious. That does not taste like a four. It's not just like a quadruple IPA. No, that is too that's drinkable. Smooth. Well, that's bad. That's that's bad news. That's a bad news. And you shouldn't have come here. I knew it. This is what happens. This is what happens when you're back in the lair. Took me away from my rolling rocks and everything. Yeah, you know, you just need, need that ten percent beer. Just like look at the. The beer doesn't. It's a. It's a really eminently drinkable beer. It's. It's got a smoothness. It's not. It doesn't have that like alcoholy aftertone. No. It's not ethanol-y, which I'd expect from a ten percent. It's smooth. I. I understand why this got really solid reviews. It tastes like a. I mean, it's got a lot. It, it does taste like a road to ruin, but it doesn't cover it up with malts. It's still really hoppy. Uh, not super hoppy, actually. I should say it's. It's um. It's really balanced. But it's a hop. Malt balance. This is what I'll say. That it's... This is a good beer. As a, fl- as a flaw, it's really good. It's not blowing my mind. No, no for sure. You know what I mean? What's it blowing have my this, mind is, is how is balanced how, it is. How balanced it is for being a 10% right. IPA. It doesn't have that kind of like... Uh, like specific thing you can no. point to and be like, "Whoa, that is really like kicking my like, ass." It's, that's why it's I said like Road so to Ruin. Good. Like yeah, a Road yeah, to yeah. Ruin's an eight percent. But I gotta be honest with you, this is like smoother than a Road to Ruin. It doesn't yeah, have it that is. like bite, sweetness that or that sweetness. Bite, too. Yeah. Um, like if you gave this to me and asked me to guess like the ABV, I would say like a seven five. Yeah, maybe. But you tell me it's a ten. I'm like, this, that's I, that's no. How good. much? How much was this? It's like sixteen. Really? Yeah. Wow. Pretty good. Good work, Nightmare. Yeah, where are they out of North Haven? Did it say? Uh, where, I actually did not look where they're at. Uh, I assume they they do out of um, North Haven. Uh, brewed can by Nightmare Brewing North Haven. Oh, twelve percent. Twelve percent. Twelve percent beer. Okay. There's a lot of good things. I was there this past weekend with Megan. I've been beers there. Taking over the world. What? Or at least Connecticut. Uh, the world. Was taken over last year, Tom, by by coronavirus. And uh, what's that? I don't. I don't what's that? Who knows. What's that? It's a thing that Joe Biden has fallen down on. So, like, all these people have coronavirus because of Joe Biden. Yeah, I believe it. But uh, this time last year, Tom, me and you talked about our most anticipated films of mm. 2020. I remember that. Um, it was the first time I'd ever thought about that. Yeah, I think I don't think we did it in most anticipated of 2019. No, because we? we started our podcast in the middle of the year. In the middle of 2018. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we've been doing this for... My God, almost three years. Um, but we, I don't think we did twenty. I think I suggested, and you're like, "That's stupid." I, I believe so. And then I eventually like wore you down. I'm gonna get you eventually to do a horror movie episode. It'll be great. Um, you <laughs> know, and, and, and being such bright-eyed young kids as we were back then, in January or February of that, I forgot what when the episode dropped. Um, you know, we, we thought all these movies were gonna come out. Maybe one wouldn't release. I think you talked about. Um, I think one of the films on your list you didn't think was going to release that we, ended up releasing. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, we had first. I had. I remember I had first 
First Cow was on my list, right? Yeah, First Cow was on your list. And I didn't know. Surely. We just assumed it would come out, but we hadn't had word like well, you had assumed, coming out. You had said that you thought First Cow was going to be a 2019 film. And yeah, then, so yeah, you yeah, had yeah, just yeah. said, like, it has to be a 2020 film. That's true. Okay, now I remember. And yeah. after a while, apparently, it didn't. It didn't have to be a 2020 film because nothing was a 2020 film. You, of your five films, actually had three of your five release. Of my <sighs> six films, uh, I had two release. Um, so tough, last tough year blow. you had First Cal, Shirley, Kajillionaire. Those are the three that did release. Uh, that's an unfortunate that Shirley released. Um, and you also had Dune and In the Heights, uh, which are the two films that are now going <laughs> to pop up on our HBO Max screens this year. Mm-hmm. Um, Maybe not Dune. Yeah, possibly not Dune. Uh, speaking of Dune, that is the film that we shared in common. Uh, I had an honorable mention that I didn't think was going to be good, because at the time I didn't really give a shit about Killing Eve, and I still think it's just fine. Mm-hmm. Um, but Promising Young Woman was my honorable mention, and that's one of the films that actually released. Mm. Um, Which is weird. Yeah. Uh, it's a good one. It's a good one. I, I just had seen all the, the reviews coming out mm-hmm. from the festival runs in late December, and, you know, I... Have to say, I wasn't. I, I was. I was pleased. I was pleased by it. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. The other film that I was really looking forward to was not on your list because you thought you were still uh, hesitant after Kaufman's uh, anima, Animalosia. Animalosia. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> and we talked about for that a while. Was I'm thinking of ending things? Yeah, yeah, but yeah, I yeah. think we were both. Uh, once again, we talked about that enough too. Yeah. And we got so much Kaufman this year. It was great. We did. It was a good uh, Kaufman year. I also had Memoria, Candyman. After Yang and Dune on my mm. list with, uh, you know. Blah, blah, blah. I'm sad about After Yang. Is it just not done? I don't, I don't know. Mm. I mean, After Yang is, is, still, is still here. Um, but speaking, so, in 2021, vaccines are getting distributed. And we're hoping that, uh, you know, the films we're going to talk about now uh, get, get their release. Well, they're coming out. Yeah. They can't do this again. Mm. They're just going to come out. And it's going to be whatever happens, happens. I'm going to say this. The movies that are on my list, my top five, um, I have two that were on my list last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of them, they could delay again, whatever. The other, I mean, I guess that those two could be delayed. The other three, I don't see a world in which they don't just, like, dump these on people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I will say uh, I, had, I had four films that were not released that... Uh, you know, haven't released yet. Uh, mm-hmm. Two of them have now dropped off my list. Hmm. Uh, Memoria. I, I've just gone a little further away from um, Uncle Boomy. Is that? Oh, yeah, yeah, Uncle yeah, Boomy yeah. And, that, and that film and just like the anticipation of that. Mm-hmm. Um, when it comes out, it being his first English language film, uh, I can't remember. I'm not going to try to do the director's name like I did last year. Don't worry about it. Yeah. Of course not. Why would People I worry just about look it? up uh, director of Uncle Boomy. Yeah. Um, I'm still going to watch it. It's still going to be a movie review. First, you know, got some Tilda Swinton. You can never go wrong with that. But I got to say, it's not It's not my anticipated list mm-hmm. anymore. Uh, the other one is Dune. Because as much as I'm still excited for the movie experience of Dune, as I talked about last year, I really fucking hate the entire idea of the story of Dune. And so now I'm just like, you know what? I want to see it. I want to visually experience that. But... I fucking hate that story, and the more I read about that story and yeah. like, the mythology of it, I just don't care even more. I think the problem with Dune is that the more I think I agree with you, the, the more I've thought about it, I'm just like, oh yeah, Dune is really stupid. I just sit there going like, like I, wa- I, wa- I want to see this because it's a Dennis Villeneuve film. Yeah, but I just wish he was doing something else. Yeah, me too. Because I, I there's I don't really think that Dune is an interesting. 
like IP. No. And and it's it's all just movie things, but like you know, if I think about it too hard, there's no way I'm going to be like that was great. Most of our Dune conversation last year centered around the fact that we needed to do a Tremors special episode, and we never did it. We never did. We could still do it. The seventh Tremors Freakers yeah. Island did come out, and it does conclude the Michael Gross saga. Oh yeah. To 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 put a little spoiler on that. Sorry, Tremors fans, if mm. you haven't seen that, but you have. I didn't even mention the fact that John Heater was like replaced Jamie Kennedy in that. But I heard it's good. We'll I, I'm, I'm still good for the I'm pro bonus episode. Tremors. I think right after we do our number one, our next episode should just be a Tremors <laughs> bonus. It won't be bonuses anymore. From that point on, we're just, just going to do whatever the fuck we want. Yeah, we just talk about Tremors. Uh, so yeah, Memoria and Dune have, have fallen on my, my list. Do you have any honorable mentions this well, year? Well, I mean, In the Heights, I'm still interested in seeing In the Heights. Um, that was your, like, your last movie you mentioned. It was the last, last one year. I mentioned. It, I, it's because Hamilton was such a big deal in my house at that time. But now that we have Hamilton... Um, yeah, we do. You know, and it is what it is, and I've seen it a bunch of times. Um, I'm still interested to see what he does with it in the Heights. I'm kind of not looking forward to next year's Oscar ceremony being uh, a duel between In the Heights and West Side Story. Like, musicals in Wicked. I think Wicked's coming out. So what, next year's going to be a huge musical year, which will not be super fun. Which Wicked, is, I thought Wicked's 2022. It's a possibility for next year. So For? For 2021. Oh, for this year. Yeah, for end of the year. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, we're in next year. Um, but other than that, like, you know, it's all, no, I mean, I don't know what the, what was the other movie that I, I had that didn't come out? Uh, the other movie was Dune. Dune. Oh yeah. So no, I don't really have any other. I mean, I, like I said, I cheated. So I'm going to go, do you want to go first? Do you want me to go oh, first? I, I, got, I have a couple honorable mentions. I don't know okay, if go you, ahead. you had some honorable mentions right now. Well, I think my honorable mentions are probably going to be my number ones. I mean, I did made my list in chronological order are probably going to be your, your honorable mentions. Okay. If I had to guess. Uh, probably not. Um, so my first honorable mention is, is a film that's probably not going to release this year. It's another Netflix film. Oh, okay. Um, it's not on their slate. So. But they didn't show it at all. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't. I, my gut says it doesn't release this year, mm-hmm. and it's the new Jeremy Solyanay film, Rebel mm-hmm. Ridge. Uh, it's got. It's basically supposed to be about systemic injustice. Um, but you got John Boyega leading it up, and James Badgedale and James Cromwell. Uh, that's a good cast. Hmm. Uh, there was there was a bit of a, a falter with Into the Dark. Um, but there's still like that, that He's nice a good Jeremy Solyanin. Yeah. It's just so, a stupid movie. Yeah. And maybe, you know, now being a second flick, second flick, Jesus fucking kill me. Um, <laughs> his second feature with Netflix, like maybe he's, he's brought stuff in. Um, but it's kind of, I think it would be higher on my list if, if I had the belief that it'd release. Hmm. Uh, I, I have three honorable mentions cause I'm a dick. Um, <laughs> The like next, I said, I cheated, so. The next one I have is, is The Northman. Uh, Robert Eggers has never oh, yeah. super disappointed me. I've just always been kind of ambivalent to, to Lighthouse. Uh, I like The Witch. I, I think I like The Witch more as time goes by. Yeah. And has, like, my crush on Anna Taylor joy increases. I like The um, Witch until the last ten minutes. That's fair. Uh, I, I, yeah, I, I do think kind of unravels it. But, you know, you, you, got, you got Ethan Hawke. You got some more William Dafoe. I, I'm going to be you honest with you. Anna Taylor Joy. It was almost back. on my list, and then I just remembered like my experience with going to see the lighthouse, and I was like, I drove 50 minutes to a movie, like the only movie theater that I could possibly see it in. I sat there through the whole thing, and because you know, good whatever. This whatever. is going to be this is go, this is going to be big, though. I think the Northman's going to be sure. But what I'm saying is that like, for him. and then I left the theater, and I was just like, why did? What was the point of that movie? 
Like, is it just because it's cool? Like, yeah, I just it was it was one of those things that left me really feeling very. It's an experience we've talked about a lot this year. Left me feeling very empty, even while I appreciated what it was doing. And I think I think the thing I appreciate about the witch and um, the lighthouse that I think is going to be really present in Northman, um, and that I'm really looking forward to is is dirtiness, scumminess, and and just the grime of the yeah, experience. Yeah, he's good at that. It's, and I think Northman's going to be that in spades, and I'm looking forward to that. I, the, the thing I'm I'm, I'm kind of getting from uh, Edgar as, as I go away is like he is everything like Nicholas Winding Reefen wanted to be. Mm. Um, How so? Just just in terms of, of having a real solid control of his visual style and in terms of being consistent with his vision. And he hasn't necessarily found a way to master that. Mm-hmm. Whereas Nicholas Winding Reefen kind of can it, at moments. Um, but I think once Eggers does, because he's a kid still, he's, I mean, kid, he's mm-hmm. the same age as John Ossoff, motherfucker. I don't know why it bothers you so much. He's younger than me. Uh, but anyways, once he, he gets, he gets that down, I think he's going to be an amazing director. He's what? not, he's not going to be Ari Oster who could, who can kick rocks. Yeah. Well, Jeremy, uh, Selena and, and, and Robert Eggers, I think are, are interesting comparisons in the sense that if they have their, they need better material. Yeah. Um, because the material, like their the visual style is there, the aesthetic and like the control is there. They just don't have the ability to thread a narrative consistently through that yet. So exactly. we'll see what this the Northman turns out to be. My last honorable mention is is the one I wanted to save because it's it's a it's a little odd. Um, it is a movie that was supposed to come out last May, and I was looking forward to it it's because of its, of its uniqueness. No. Uh, uh, because of, of you know, I've always been a fan of this series, but I was just kind of looking forward to it, and I thought about putting it on my list last year, but I couldn't. But then it got postponed a year, and then it kind of crept in, and now I'm like even more than um, and because it's been a long time since I got a good slasher movie. Um, it's not Halloween Kills. The the closer I get to Halloween Kills, the less I care about Halloween Kills. Mm-hmm. I'm really looking forward to Spiral. Uh, it, it seems like the pictures look weird, and it, the trailer yeah, looks weird. It does, um, but I, I think it's. It, I'm interested to see a a saw film that's trying to be serious, like hmm. trying to not be fun, like not trying to be like like a you know that, that gore houndish, but trying to actually like dig into it. And Darren Lynn Bozeman coming back to the series seems fun, like interesting, especially since he like was starting to try to do stuff with that series, mm-hmm. and then like Lionsgate was like, "What the fuck you doing?" and pushed him out. So. You know, it's it's weird having like actual people now in mm. the film, uh, and it's it's always been that weird guilty pleasure of mine. And I just I like the way it looks. I like the color. I'm always happy to see uh, what's his name, Max Mangella, in things. Mm. Um, yeah, yeah. Spiral, spiral. It's, it's 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 like that earworm that's kind of popped in. Um, I don't have any. Uh, honorable mentions, but I'll just say the first m- thing I'm going to mention, my number one here is three movies, and that is uh, Minari, Nomadland, and Judas and the Black Messiah. And those are all coming out in February in some capacity. And they're all they're all coming out within seven days of each other. And they're all supposed to come out in 2020. Um, and I the reason I'm putting them here, and they're fairly obvious, but I really feel like it's kind of like paradigm shifting for like um, the year in movies... This year for us, which we'll talk about next week, was really kind of open. It was like so wide open and kind of dominated week to week by like certain 
projects like small acts kind of like focused our attention on it but then when small acts is over i was like oh yeah small acts and then i, I watched kajillion i was like oh kajillion is awesome but then i also rewatched. i'm thinking of ending things and i was like well these are both good and like, blah, 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 blah. these are the, the three of the movies that were supposed to kind of dominate the film like conversation all year and nomadland did for the fact that it would like sneak into a Lincoln Center screening for a week and then no one would know about it and then you it would sneak out and then it would disappear and then Minari would just kind of be like oh some screenings oh they're sold out and you missed it yeah we, we tried several times to get Nomadland and Minari screenings yep and then Judas and the Black Messiah is just not a thing but these were the every, the whole year. Everyone was like, oh, "These are these movies are so good," and they got reviewed by various podcasts and publications throughout the year. Like, where did you see them? And they're gonna be here, like you said, within seven days of each other. They're just gonna be like, "Well, now here they are. Yeah. Have fun." And it's you know, I'm I'm kind of I want to see these things and and see what to make of them. And I think it's gonna be the first year where our best of lists and the Oscars. They rare, they don't have anything to do with each other ever, but they're not going to be reflective even kind of of each other. Yeah, because Nomad, because these three movies are twenty twenty one movies, right? For us. For, as far as we're concerned, so well, that um that those three movies kind of equal one thing for me, one little chunk mm. of movies. Do you want what's your first? One you, you I mean, to? I mean, you have like five movies over that past that. Do you want me to do all, my all five? My well, number, not, not all five. I just don't don't know if you have five after that. Yeah, I've got a bunch. Oh, okay. Well, I'll just I'll just do it. I'll just I'll just go with my my number five. Sure. Is uh, Claire Denise' new film Radioscopia, uh, mm-hmm. returning back with Juliette Binoche to do kind of like a smaller feature. She's supposed to do that. Is it coming out? It's supposed to be. I think she's she's in production with it. She's supposed to do the Stars at Noon with. Um, yeah, that got shelved. Yeah, that got shelved. So I think she turned and is doing this now. How that just happened though? I think I thought she just pivoted like fairly recently. November, like back in November. Oh, okay. So. Um, yeah, you know, after our big Claire Denis episode and getting into it and going back to kind of a lower concept film, a film about kind of you know French radio. Mm-hmm. I'm into that. I'm into it too. I just didn't think it was coming out this year. I, th- I think it's going to be. I-, I have a feeling it will. I don't know if it'll come out here, mm-hmm. but I do think it will be released in France this year. Mm-hmm. Um, then I can, you know, I'll be able to find something. I'll be able to find. <laughs> maybe I'll just relearn French this year. Um, yeah, I, I'm ready for more Claire Denis. Yeah, I'm inject ready that more into my veins. Um, or you know, I was kind of sad. You know, the um, Lynn Ramsey is the other one that I was hoping would you know release something this year, and she's not going to get the girl who loved <laughs> Tom Gordon off the ground. I don't think. No. In yeah. time to have it. Um, my next one I'll mention is uh, David Lowry's movie, The Green Knight. Got another delayed movie, um, which, you know, stars Dev Patel. It's coming out July 30th now. I'm not sure what the plan is for this movie. It was supposed to be a kind of Oscar thing. I don't know if it's still going to be an Oscar movie. It's definitely not going to be a summertime fun movie. But, you know. Hard R. The, the Full nudity. adaptation of Sir Gawain and the Green Knight uh, is, is by David Lowry something I'm always going to be. Interested in. I'm always going to be into whatever he's doing. What's your, what's your feelings on his his Peter Pan coming up? I think it's a fucking waste, but I know that he's got a deal, so he's nothing to do about it. I mean, uh, I do appreciate the casting of Jim Gaffigan as Smithy. I I have no idea. Or Smee, or I knew he Smee. was making it, but yeah. yeah, I mean that makes sense. But again, I think I think if anybody's like 
if, if, you're, if these Pete, assholes have to make like live action Disney films, David Lowry did a good job. Pete's Dragon was Pete's a Dragon. pretty good movie, yeah. but I, I mean, again, I know he has a deal, and so I can't get too mad at him when he makes. It's going to fund three of his next movies, right? Like I think Pete's Dragon gives us Ghost Story and gives us Old Man and the Gun. Yeah. You know. Uh, so my next one at four, because I, I, I ranked these by most anticipated, was my number one last year. Mm. That's dipped just because, I don't know, uh, the, these these next three kind of more, I don't know why. Um, but it's Koganaga's After Yang, uh, mm. which hopefully comes out this year. I, I think it may be dipped because I'm not confident it comes out. Which would be fucking weird. Um, yeah, I think I think it has to be in post-production. I think it's shot already. I, why, why wouldn't it be? But I, it's an A24 film. I think this is going to be... An A twenty four film they they push for end of the year for Maybe. awards consideration. And I'll just raise my hand real quick. A twenty four is also Sir Gawain and the Green Knight, and they were also First Cow, and they're also Minari. Yeah, they're fucking up. That's what I'm saying. So I can't. You can't guarantee that A twenty four is going to do anything right here Minari, because they fucking blew it. We don't know like what their their financial situation is and needing these films to release, but right. like. There's also the Sean Baker next movie that I wanted to put on here, but like they're right. just like H24 is just like hey, we can't. Sean Baker's not letting us tell you what it's about, and it's gonna come out. Yeah, and I can't work anything with that. You know, I like Tangerine. I, I find Tangerine okay. I fucking love Florida Project. Well, who's in who's in this movie? There's someone in it, isn't? Um, in After Yang or no? In the new, I'm not sure. Sean Baker. No, there is somebody, but I, I, can't I forget who it is. Yeah, but um, then he shot it during the pandemic. No. Um, but yeah, I mean the A twenty four thing is is a big red has <laughs> become a big red flag for whether or not we can see movies. Yeah, but uh, regardless, after Yang, I think visually is going to be yeah be an awesome. insane film. Um, but unfortunately, just just the time away from Columbus, you know, is, mm. and just the A twenty four thing has kind of kind of lowered my anticipation for it. I know it's sad. It's sad. Um, my next one is um, the Beatles. Get back. The uh, that's the the new Peter Jackson, Jackson yeah. documentary, um, with all this footage of the get back sessions, which you know he's pitched as saying like, oh, everyone said they were so sad, but actually there was a lot of really cool stuff that no one's ever seen. And he's got all this great stuff, and he released like a five minute trailer on um, what was it? What was it for? I think we just released it, and it was awesome, and it was like a ton of fun, and I'm just kind of very excited to sit in a theater, hopefully, and just let Beatles stuff happen to me um you know and again i'm not i'm not kidding myself and thinking that that won't show up on apple plus tv and i'll have to shell out some no, more money or something that's a disney that's a disney oh product, yeah disney so. plus oh yeah. yeah that's where that's where i saw it it was the like it was an ad for some it was an ad like before i watched some movie like wandavision or <laughs> no which we could talk about um thought we could talk but about yeah disney plus uh that was right so yeah, the other film that uh, was on my 2020 list that wasn't released has popped up a bit um, because I didn't have a lot of confidence in the project. And after the trailers for this film came out and uh, Nia DaCosta's kind of um, highlight reel kind of expanded and just kind of mm. the trust in the project expanded, my number three is Candyman. Mm-hmm. Um, I think uh, that... Did you ever see that kind of like cut out um, animation trailer she mm-hmm. had going for it? It's kind of like a concept trailer. It's just mm-hmm. it's fantastic. Um, I, th- I think it's it's she's going to have a really solid grasp on kind of the racial aspects of Candyman. 
Um, you know, first film kind of just dwelled so heavily into that. Um, I really wish I could remember the name of the neighborhood where the original Candyman shot in, in Chicago. Um, Oh, the Cabrini Green aspect of that from the original film, so solidly well done. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I just, you know, just from seeing everything building with this film, um, I, just my trust in it has grown. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, seeing uh, Abdul Mateed II, uh, his, his performance in Travel to Chicago 7, a yeah. garbage fucking movie. But, you know, his Bobby Seal, like, it just, everything that's that's coming up in this film, I was, I was hesitant before, but everything kind yeah. of being reaffirmed to where now I can't. I think they only shelve it because it's good. I think, yeah, I think that's the reason they shelve I think, yeah. I think they, and that's, that's the, another big reason is they're like, it feels like they're very much like, no, we are not releasing this. Right. This is going to get, um, get out us comparisons forever. You know, and people will see it. Yeah, and it's an, like MGM was like it's a strap for cash this summer, they, and, and, and they could have sold this easily. Yeah, to pay for you know existing. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised to see this get delayed again, mm. even if the pandemic's over. But get delayed, and it's like kind of the Antler situation where Antlers got delayed until like late October mm-hmm. because the rumors are that like it's a really solid film. Hmm. Um, this is the Scott Cooper's movie yeah um which is a great short story the jesse um, plemons song yeah jesse plemons and uh carrie russell movie um yeah I, I could see this just trying to trying to be like the thing like me like if they really have a lot of faith in it they can kind of push that yeah um speaking of jesse plemons my number four is uh is cheating and it's because if you go through um any your four yeah we're at four i just did my three yeah, and then you're going to do four, and then we'll do five. And we got to hurry up, because this is taking forever. No, I, but I mean, like, I'm doing my two next. Oh, right, right. Okay. Um, yeah, I'm doing four, then you'll do two, and then I'll do my fifth one, and then you'll do your one. Okay, See, yeah, that's yeah, how it works. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, if you look through any list of movies uh, that are coming out in 2021, you see this thing happen that says TBD, that Netflix, and it says TBD. It's on the slate. It's just they haven't figured out where it's going to fall yet. This list of movies is fucking crazy so you have this adam mckay movie this what is it called it's never called look don't back, look no, up don't look up yeah starring leonardo dicaprio jennifer lawrence rob morgan jonah hill timothy chalamet and ariana grande it's supposed to be a comedy leonardo dicaprio is going to do economy a comedy the guilty antoine fuqua's the guilty with jake gyllenhaal peter sarsgaard and riley keogh the harder they fall i don't know who james samuel is but that's starring Jonathan Majors, Idris Elba, Zazie Beetz, Lakeith Stanfield, Delroy Lindo, and Regina King. It's a fucking classic Western. Idris Elba's in two Westerns next year with Concrete Cowboy and that. And then The Power of the Dog, which is this new Jane Campion movie. who hasn't Jane Campion hasn't released a movie in a while. Benedict Cumberbatch, Jesse Plemons again, uh, Kirsten Dunst. That's the Montana Ranch Thomas movie. McKenzie, yeah. This is fucking crazy town. Netflix is crazy. What the hell are these movies? Where did they come from? Yeah. I mean, and that's so my number four is just Netflix end of year. I mean, I don't know, man. I don't <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I guess this is like the benefit of like modern movie making is that 
They would never release all these movies. In a, one studio would never release all these movies. This is Netflix throwing a bunch of shit at the wall going like, Oscar! Some, give us an Oscar for something. Please. We're gonna, one of these has to win Best Picture. Um, but yeah, I mean, I just I was going through these lists and I saw that and I was like, oh my god, this is amazing. Yeah. It's going to be amazing. Or terrible. Or terrible, but I mean, they'll at least be interesting. <laughs> what's, what's great is as you get big, I'm getting smaller. Because my number two is uh, Jacques Adair's uh, Les, uh, Les Olympiades. Mm-hmm. Um, it is his adaptation of the graphic novel, um, what is it, uh, Killing and Dying, um, co-written with Celine Sienema. Mm. Um, and, uh, oh, well, why don't you just make Le- it? Your, yes. Um, put it on your number one right there. <laughs> <laughs> but number one uh, Nomi Morant also stars oh, in it. Why, are we, why uh, are we even doing this? But you know, Jack, uh, Sisters, Brothers, and A Prophet, both incredible films. Mm-hmm. It's just the minds behind this sure. are just incredible. Yeah. Um, you must have seen that. It was like, uh, 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 as each yeah. new thing, like Revelation <laughs> yeah. came up. It was like, like, it was like one of those things like, what about this? What about that? Um, <laughs> what if I told you? Yeah, so... You know, it's just it's just kind of like a Mario fucking soup of excitement. <laughs> oh, I'm going to title this episode Mario Soup. Um, my number one is, uh, or my number five, whatever you want to call it. The last one I'm going to mention is another movie that I'm I don't is possible it doesn't come out this year, but because this guy now has a track record of doing this shit, I'm assuming it's coming out at the exact same time his last movie came out. This is the new Paul Thomas Anderson movie, Soggy Bottom. Uh, Bradley Cooper starring in it made me not include it. Me too. I, I hate Bradley. Guys, you know, not a Bradley Cooper fan. I love me some Paul Thomas Anderson. If anybody can make something happen with this guy, it is Paul Thomas Anderson. Uh, you know, we'll see. I'm assuming it's going to be a December thing and that he'll do exactly what he did when he pulled out Phantom, pulled Phantom Thread out of his ass. Which is that he just is going to edit until a week before it's supposed to open. And be like, oh yeah, here it is. Pretty good. Oh, it's a new Paul Thomas Anderson movie. Have fun. And it'll be good. And I'll be happy. What could possibly beat out Celine Sienema, Jacques Cardin, and, and uh, Jacques Goddard? And, uh, I'm assuming like an Adele Halal movie is coming out. You would out. think that. But imagine... It's a biopic If, if there was a psychological yourself. thriller... Novel adapted starring Caleb Landry Jones, Jessica Chastain, and Ray Fiennes. Sounds terrible. And that movie was directed by John Michael McDonald because my number one's The Forgiven. Um, you just look, you look shocked by this. Uh, doesn't sound very interesting. No, well, just. After the guard and the cavalry and and my love of of the McDonald brothers, um, that that team together just has, I don't know, has me excited. Hmm. Uh, the cavalry and the guard are both movies that that kind of like almost made my list, hmm. um, but both of them are are movies that have have really shaped like my like Martin McDonald's films and John Michael McDonald's films have kind of like shaped my enjoyment of the past. 15 years of film hmm. um and so seeing a project that's kind of like maybe a little like a little on the nose like 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 you said kind of a project what's that the, seems what's the um premise of the movie uh, you know because i'm not aware of it i don't i don't uh it is um no no <laughs> I really don't know. Well, that's, I mean, again, 
I just I look so, I look I look who's making the project. Yeah, I look but, at the so, people so involved in it. Here's where we'll end this um, thing. Is that like a perfect linking of your thing and my thing at the end? Is that Paul Thomas Anderson is making a movie that features an actor I don't like, Philip Seymour Hoffman's kid, one of the Haim sisters, and Benny Safdie, and it's about a 1970s period piece taking place in a high school. I'm 100% probably not going to like this movie. Yeah. On paper, I shouldn't like it. You're telling me that your most anticipated movie is a movie that you don't know anything about. But you see who's making it, you're just like, yeah, I'll do that. And the people. That sounds and, awesome. And, and the people involved. But that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Is that like... Paul Thomas oh, Anderson, Christopher Abbott's also in it, Paul too. Thomas, oh, well, that's that's a bonus. That guy's fucking awesome. Yeah. Um, Paul Thomas Anderson can make anything, and that will be my most anticipated movie of the year. And and Martin McDonald, like the McDonald brothers can make anything, and yeah. it's going to be up there. Right, exactly. And seeing, the, and seeing it, it's kind of like a foray to, to psychological thriller slash horror. I'm going to be honest with you, the only thing holding me up from being interested in that is that Jessica Chastain has sucked recently. Mm-hmm. Hard. <laughs> so, and she's been making shit choices for like three years now, so... I'm hoping this is not like another one of those. Yeah, I'm holding out hope. Yeah, we'll, we'll see. Cape uh, Caleb Landry Jones, maybe we'll we'll hold her back. Yeah, we like. Oh yeah, because he's he, always. Listen, <laughs> his performance. Everyone is hated so his strange. debut album, and I loved it. So whatever. Hmm. Sacred bones. Speaking of bad choices, uh, we're going to be talking about our next movie, but we're going to take a small break while we get a bad choice of Nacho and Wings. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so the move, the new movie we're going to talk about today, the movie that has come out, yeah, it's it's our last like our cutoff film. This is our cutoff film. Yep. So it came out. Um, it got released in Christmas in theaters. Um, and then it came out on Amazon on January fifteenth, and that is the Regina King directorial debut, One Night in Miami. Oh, yeah, that's the show. Don't you think it's about time to party tonight? There's a chance for us to reflect. Hey. You mean? No one else is coming? Well, this is all to a hopping start. <laughs> you all are a bright and shining future. You need to understand what is at stake here. Everything's not so black and white like you make it out to be. But we are fighting for our lives. You know I know what's going on out there, right? Listen, listen. Brothers and sisters, listen, listen, listen. Uh, this film, uh, which premiered on Amazon Plus, Amazon Plus, is that it? Amazon Prime. Prime. Oh yeah, Prime. There, everything else is Plus. Um, it imagines a meeting in what everyone assume. It imagines the contents of a meeting that everyone assumes happens in Miami in 1964. Uh, Cassius Clay, who would soon become Muhammad Ali uh, is fighting, and after the fight, he and his friend Malcolm X go to a hotel room with Jim Brown and Sam Cooke, and uh, with, with, uh, what's his name? Oh yeah, Lance Reddick, yeah. hanging out by the door, looking very muscly and strong and stuff. I, I wonder if Lance Reddick was actually there. Do you think he was actually there? I think he was there. He was still on the set of Silver I think Club. he's a, I think Lance Reddick is a turtle. I feel like he hasn't aged since like, what year did the guest come out? Two thousand four. I mean, he hasn't. He was on he Lost. Good. He was on Lost. Yeah, and looked the same. Yeah, he looks the same. He just always looks the same. It was very possible that he was just reprising his role in real life. He was really there and standing outside the door. He blah, might blah, blah. be a. He might be a god of some sort. That's how we know actually what happened. That's how Kemp Powers found out what happened because Lance Reddick was there listening and just told him. Um, 
And One Night in Miami is a depiction of, of what Kemp Powers assumes maybe went on in that meeting. And it was a conversation about... Definitely not, some, definitely not pussy. <laughs> much to Jim Brown's chagrin, there was none. There was only vanilla ice cream. And no beer except for the beer that eventually was just there. Uh, before they went to the liquor store, there there was beer, and then Sam Cooke had a flask. And they talk about uh, what it means to be black in the in 1960s America, and, and the responsibility that they each have to their to their people and to their culture, and but also to themselves, and the perception of what one person thinks about what another is doing. Um, and that is the end of, and that's the whole movie. I mean, there's no plot to speak of. There's nothing. It's just four guys in a room, and then they sometimes split off, and some people stay I mean, the in the room. Is, and some people the plot don't is go in the like room. Cassius Clay's like conversions in Nation of Islam. Kind of, and except for the fact some, that it's just kind of left. And then they, it's kind of in the side. And then yeah. Sam Cook and um, Muhammad Malcolm X become the center. This is a big movie. It's getting a lot of buzz for all sorts of different kinds of awards. I mean, Gold Derby has. Leslie Odom with this award sewn up, sewn up like like Joaquin Phoenix for Joker sewn up for supporting for supporting. Yeah, I mean like there's no one else even close to being possible to win this award as far That's as Gold Derby is concerned. Unfortunate. Um, it's fine. Yeah. No. Same. It's I fine. mean, I don't. I I got a lot of um. We reviewed. Uh. Uh, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, which was also a play um, a couple weeks ago or for, you know, two and a half years ago. I don't fucking know. Who knows anymore? Um, this this movie suffers from big kahuna syndrome, I like to say, which is a bunch of people just standing around in a room and yeah. then shifting positions and then sometimes leaving the room. But even when they leave the room, they never leave the room. And the conceit with which they leave the room is never good enough to justify them leaving the room. So, like, when they go up to the roof, it's like, oh, let's go up to the roof to test out this camera. Oh, but we're just still in a room. We're all four just standing here. Now we're not in a hotel room. We're on a roof. And that's, I mean, I think my major complaint about this movie is that it's boring. Yeah, it's because a, they don't find a way to dramatize any of the drama. It has that like six characters in search of an exit, Satra kind of feeling to it, and in the fact that it doesn't ever make use of its surroundings. And I think Regina King does a serviceable job here. But She's when not, you, yeah, 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 yeah. When you compare this to, and as I told you when watching it, um, you compare this to what Wolf did with Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, and most of that takes place in that practice room, but. Or in the studio. It's or just the four studio, walls, yeah. though. Or, or slightly outside. But, like, most of it takes place in that practice room. But the world will melt away when it needs to melt away. When it needs to focus on Chadwick Boseman just exploding on the screen. Uh, and the surroundings then don't matter. Mm -hmm. Like, the being of place does not matter. It is just the pure illicit of emotion. Mm -hmm. And here, there always has to be some sort of energy going on. There always has to be a sense of place going on. You know, when... Uh, a Kingsley Benadur is kind of delivering a speech. You always have to see the shoulder of Aldous Hodge kind of peeking in there. You always have to have this, like, me I said, like, yeah, there was a, a big thing of medium shots in this. There's a, a lot, lot of, of medium shots. A lot of medium shots when we need to come in close and tight. But also or, a lot of establishing shots. A lot yeah. of, like, oh, this is where they are in the room. It's like, well, yeah, we didn't think that they just disappeared. 
And the camera never... We just saw them all come in. You don't need to show all of them. Who yeah, cares? Yeah, the camera's never shifting around. Like, early on, like, with Wolf in Ma Rainey's Black Bottom when... Um, I really wish... I could, why am I not remembering his character's name right now? But uh, Chadwick Boseman's character. Hmm. Like, when it needs to get in there, it gets in low and tight and has this, like, kind of... It's doing, Olympic feel to it. Yeah, um, it's doing interesting things. Yeah. It's accentuating things. It's accentuating it's the dialogue. Speaking, yeah. Whereas this just kind of presents the dialogue as is, which for the first like half I felt was solid as a screenplay, but then eventually it kind of like teeters out and plays itself out. And eventually when characters kind of split up and depart and our focus shifts from Cassius Clay's conversion to the Nation of Islam to kind of like Cook's responsibility as a black man to mm. himself and to um, his race, and, and the conflict there with Malcolm X, and that being kind of Malcolm X kind of self conflict as well, it just loses itself. Because one thing, you, you lose a sense of, for us, focus as it is on place, you lose a sense of place because it just ends up becoming so meandering and samey feeling. Well, the place doesn't matter. Yeah. Like the place in my, and mom, maybe mom, people that know theater better will say that could say that like these things don't compare so like we're comparing apples to oranges maybe a little bit but we just don't know as far as we're concerned there are two theater pieces that got filmed the place really matters in ma rainey which is funny because she or george wolf is content to let us not see the place all the time the place is to the hotel room in and of itself is totally fucking meaningless in this thing but she never lets us not see the hotel room like we see so much hotel room the scene where the four guys are sitting across from each other on a bed is the worst what are the odds that those four guys with all of the places to sit in the hotel room are going to be sitting right next to each other like just staring deeply into each other's eyes, wondering about, you know, whatever Malcolm X has dis demanded that they all wonder about at that yeah. exact moment. I mean, it's just, it's, it gets kind of ham-fisted at some point. And that, that's my issue, too. It's, it, so Ma Rainey and this really try to modernize the issue through an historical context. Mm. Um, and it really brings to me, and I, I only mention this because I'm starting to read, Shakespeare to Divided America. Uh, Oscar Estick's um, production of like Julius Caesar from Central America, uh, from Central Park a few years ago for Shakespeare in the Park. The Trump which, one? The Trump one, yeah. yeah. Um, which does a lot with its, which did a lot with its language from recreate to recreate. Mm -hmm. um, did a lot of, of stuff in, in just the mere verbiage of it mm -hmm. to kind of like put this sense of immediacy in it. Mm -hmm. And Ma Rainey does that to an incredible length. And, mm -hmm. and I guess it's kind of a bummer. These two movies came out like within a month of each other because Ma Rainey's is a fucking masterpiece and this is mm. fine. Um, it's the fact that Ma Rainey knows when to let these things breathe into modernity. Mm. Um, you know, when, uh, you know, when you have that speech of, of, of the man, uh, the, the preacher from kind of like an affluent position, um, going to a town where he's not known and, and being treated kind of in that subservient cast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, like that's, that's, that's done in such a way that has a real modern feel to it. And nothing in he everything here feels dated, feels as though it exists merely in this small place of time. Well, because it's, that, that's bothersome. Right. Cause the unit, it's that story is presented as a kind of universal truth. Mm. Almost. It's presented as kind of like a myth. This is biographical. And this, yeah, this, it seems and by being so biographical, it seems it's mere existence seems designed to tell you something specific about today. And it kind of doesn't. 
Like I get the because it's that, so stuck in right in time. because I get the impression that Malcolm X is wrong, like that Sam Cooke was doing a good job. He was doing the best job that he personally could do, while Malcolm X was doing a pretty bad job because Malcolm X was being wholly dishonest with like himself and everyone around him about like the nature of his relationship to um nation of islam the nation of islam exactly and and i think that stuff gets mentioned but it's not it just it's just they're flapping around you know what i mean and that's because there's too many like another problem is there's too many currents running in this film yeah i mean i love i love what alice hodge does in this movie um I find the most interesting part of this story to just be kind of Jim's Brown, like, core conflict of staying in the NFL versus pursuing a movie career just because Aldous Hodge, like, knocks that out of the park. Well, because it feels because like it's, it's the, the most really human. selling out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's the most, like, human feeling. And it has the most kind of, like, it's the one that lacks inter- unnecessary interruption. And, mm-hmm. like, my problem with this is, like, because there's so many currents running through this film, like, between Cook and um, Malcolm X, especially, that kind of, like, interrupt, and then will kind of intersperse to interrupt Cassius Clay's kind of arc, like, you just end up becoming so withdrawn from it because there's, it's, it's juggling too many balls at once. Well, and I don't feel like, I don't feel like Malcolm X is talking to... I feel like Malcolm... If this movie was really super successful, then Malcolm X would be... When he's talking to Sam Cooke, would be talking to all of them. Mm-hmm. But I don't get that impression. I get the impression he's just talking to Sam Cooke, which means that there's whole chunks of this movie in the last hour where it feels like it's just two guys in the room. And then, like you said, eventually, like sometimes the camera shifts a little bit and Jim Brown's just like standing there in the back. It's like, why are you still standing there? Go sit. Like, no, you don't have to be standing there. Go do something else. Go talk to the guy that didn't want your autograph. Yeah. Figure out why he didn't want your autograph. Well, I mean, so I think it's weird. I think it's a tough, it's a tough, it's four tough acting performances, I think. Um, I think Aldous Hodge does the most interesting, I don't, I don't, I felt he, he was very stoic and like solid and he was doing a kind of Jim Brown impersonation, but I didn't think it was as bad as the Eli Gorey impersonation of will smith impersonating muhammad ali Mm. and i that's not i don't think that's his fault as much as it's ali is so distinctive that you have to do the ali cadence and the ali tone and say the ali things he's saddled actually with a bunch of things that have become cultural cliches to say like when he was like at the end of the movie he's like i'm so pretty and i was like i don't don't say that i don't don't say that i I appreciate it I think there's a touch of, of of a solid performance in the prayer scene in the morning because mm. you get like a bit of like a vulnerability mm-hmm. and especially in that that delivery of the line of talking about George's George, mm-hmm. like of like the unveiling of kind of the caricature, but like then the character just comes back. But that's all char- it's character stuff. When yeah. he becomes the you said the caricature, it's just kind of rough. And but just like, yeah, when he's talking Muhammad Ali, yeah, when he's talking about being a heel. Yeah, being gorgeous, George. I'm like, man, I want to see like that. Let's see some more of that. Yeah, yeah. To that end, though, I think the the, the main like relationship we need to discuss are maybe the two actors, the Kingsley Benadiris, Malcolm X, and and Leslie Odom Jr. as Sam Cooke. I I think they're both pretty good. I I think Ben Kingsley Benadiris is not like an actor that I really like. He's been in some stuff that I find tough. 
that I've seen. He was in that Noel movie that was on Disney Plus with yeah the uh, Anna Kendrick Anna Kendrick and, and Bill uh, Hader movie. Hader. He's not great in that, but that's also not a great movie. And he was in the High Fidelity remake that was on Hulu with and Zoe you hate Kravitz. High Fidelity. The and movie. I think that t- I think that show is awful. And I think and you hate the movie too, right? I know. I hate. Yeah, sure. I hate it. Um, I hate it so much. I want to. Um, <laughs> no, I love it. Um, I didn't think he was very good in that. Um, but I, maybe that's not his fault either. I think he's pretty. I think he's doing a lot of work. Here. He is. Yeah. And he deserves credit for that. I kind of like the Leslie Odom Jr. performance the most because I think it's the most complicated. See, I and I think he he's showing that complication. I think shows through where he's trying to be all things to all people all the time, even in this room. And uh, but again, it's it's you know it is what it is. I, I think. I like him. I, I like him as an actor. I think he's got an edge to him that no one else in this movie has, which I think is a welcome addition yeah. to the four of them. Um, yeah, there's a lot of pathos to that character. Um, I think Leslie Odom Jr. is the only good part of that fucking horrendous play he was in. Um, but I don't. I don't like him here. Mm. I just, and maybe it's because Sam Cooke is just give is just too. Compared to the other three, has just too much going on for him compared to everyone else mm. that it just overwhelms it. And Leslie Odom Jr. is already kind of, I feel kind of already, like even even from his Hamilton stuff, a touch of an overactor. Like a touch oh, of like really yeah. digging into it. And like it sticks out to me in this because of the fact that Sam Cooke has so much of a range of emotion. Yeah. Like when... But I don't know if like it's the best fault. The best no, I don't think it's his yeah, fault. Yeah. I think I think it's like Regina King not reeling him in. And I don't think Regina King does a does a bad job here. Or that the other ones aren't new or just aren't giving enough. But like when like Leslie Odom is Junior is with like Nicolette Robinson, like his actual wife. Yeah. Like when they're talking together, like and there's this like kind of natural back and forth, I like that. Mm-hmm. Like when he's like not really trying to chew... He's not trying to chew scenery in this. That's not the right way to say No, I think he's just trying to push it into but he's a trying direction. To like, yeah, trying to kind of give direction where direction's not given. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't work for me. Uh, but like when he's allowed to kind of like bring it back, it does. Um, but he's not given a lot of opportunities to that. He's, he's meant to carry a lot of things that visually I think should have been carried by Regina King... Well, I mean, I think and one of the... should have been carried by um, uh, Tammy Ricker, the cinematographer. Or I think even the production design here, I think, is problematic because I guess they're. I'm assuming they tra- were trying to go for authenticity, and that's what these rooms in this motel looked like. You gotta, you can't do a room with a divider in the middle of it so that they're in a suite with and have that, it that only on one purpose. half. Also, also served no purpose. Right, you can't do that. Like, just get rid of those walls. Fuck authenticity. You know what I mean? Nobody cares. No one else was. No one's gonna say I stayed in that hotel in the '60s and it didn't look yeah. like that. That shit doesn't matter. You've you've just put these people into this too tight space, and then behind them is a much bigger space. That nobody's using. Yeah. So it's just, I think it's, it feels weird when like, it feels weird when like Malcolm X is like yelling at somebody and he's like pointing at them and blah, blah, blah. And they're just like standing right there. He's screaming at them and they're just standing right in his face. And it's like, but why, why is he doing that? I don't understand why he's getting so exercised about this thing. Like, and nobody else seems to be getting exercise, and Sam Cooke is going more internal, it seems and like. That's, but I'm not sure that Sam Cooke's death 
is directly related to this event. No, and that, so I'm not sure why it should be heavy or portentous of anything. Yeah. It, but it kind of is. And it shouldn't Cook's, be. Cook's death. He because he dies. Yeah, he like, dies like ten months later. Yeah, but it's not even like mentioned in the film. No, but that's what I'm saying. But I'm not, this has nothing to do with that. But the movie, his character is played for like, listen, you got to do this. Like you're, it's almost like a you're running out of time thing. He yeah, doesn't know he's running out of gonna, time. This white woman's going to shoot you for no reason. Yeah, he doesn't. I mean, maybe that's what they're playing for. Like, he was trying to suck up to the white people, and then he ends up getting killed by a white person. Like, maybe that's what it is, but I don't know. Like, I don't, I don't, I don't think, think him playing to, the Copa. I don't, I don't think him playing the Copa has anything to do with him Well, that's, that's the problem, there. too. Is, is, and that is actually my main issue. Like, another main issue is um, that opening of the film, like, Sam Cooke's part in the Copa doesn't work. I don't think Malcolm X's speech with his with Betty... Um, works. I don't think Muhammad Ali's kind of like playing with Henry Cooper works. But that... Michael Imperioli works. He's <laughs> aging well beyond what he should be doing. <laughs> um, but that Aldous Hodge like Bo Bridges scene it's is good. just so... Like Tariq Anwar is doing good Tariq Anwar work in terms mm-hmm. of pacing that like a motherfucker. Mm-hmm. Like, because you you see it's a plantation kind of house. You get you get nervous instantaneously but it lets it breathe for so long oh you think it's going to be so and you good think, you think it's going to be like okay like maybe there's going to be like something that kind of like causes like a slight little like downturn here but you're not expecting like you know we don't allow n-words into our house yep. from Bo Bridges and it just delivered so flatly and plainly like you watch that like seeing that scene I'm like oh I have high hopes for this and everything else just doesn't meet that tempo. Well, and I think, and, and I think, I, and that's a problem. Uh, that sucks too, because like Tariq Anwar, like the the editor feels like he's trying really hard here. Mm. It feels like he's trying to make this thing pace right, but when you're given so little visually, yeah, given so little uh, from a, a direction of actor standpoint, mm. that um, you can't you can't do enough. Um, I agree with you, and I just think there's the you know you like to talk about blocking. I think the blocking is weirdly problematic here. There's a couple of scenes to to that point where I think if you're editing, you get stuck with your establishing shot that looks like just four guys literally just looking for their marks. Yeah, like and that's you need you've been given a a, a direction towards like establishing their back in this room. This is where everyone is. Blah blah blah. But it's a I mean it's a it's a tough it's a a tough assignment when like it's just it just looks like four guys milling around like in a spot almost waiting for someone to say like action or are you ready to go or you know where you're going or whatever you, you know what you know what, had, you know what the issue was it had that stiffness of an early singleton film like an early john singleton movie but at least a john singleton movie would have multiple locations that yeah. felt real but it had but you know yeah. like yeah, it yeah, has yeah. that stiffness of of character movement yeah when he was figuring out what to do and he was yeah, just exactly. like don't go too crazy tupac because um, i gotta I, I don't i don't know what to do here yeah um and, and so I, I i like i think there's a lot of promise here yeah, like from a Regina King directing standpoint, but I just don't think. I, I think, and I think, in a year where Ma Rainey doesn't come out the month prior to it, or where the small axe movies don't come out, my friend. Yeah, exactly. Um, which are are films that are also very much bubbles in a lot of ways. Yep. Um, but done. Get, yeah, like well, because Steve McQueen's not a human being. We've talked about this. Um, <laughs> or also, you know, more directly where. I watch it 12 hours after I watch your number eight. <laughs> um, oh, I know. That's a tough beat also. I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh, you know, like I, I find 
I probably give it a lot more leeway, but watching this, it just ends up being a chore. It and it it yeah. Oh, that's really good. And because it feels like it feels like a chore in the middle of it, you're just like, oh man, this is this is going. Yeah. So um all right, but to that end, we will be right back with my number eight, which I think ties pretty well to to yeah, accidentally. Accidentally. We didn't have any idea. So all right, we'll be right back. Welcome back. Um, I'm not going to beat around the bush, as as always. Um, I will. Don't worry, guys. <laughs> my number eight is, um, we said it tied to One Night in Miami, and I think it does. It'd be cool if there was some actor crossover here. That'd just be, that'd be neat if there was somebody like, you know, who was in Martin that. Martin Lawrence is probably in the background. It'd be cool somewhere. if Giancarlo Esposito was just hanging out somewhere yelling. At catering. Yeah. <laughs> He just—he's there with his black lightsaber, just being like, "Yeah, I'm doing this now." Frankly, um, Faisal is just like, "Hey guys," <laughs> I don't know why that like strikes me as so funny. As Frankie Faisal just like hanging out, he's just everywhere. He just shows uh, up order, places. Remember me being the orderly? That was pretty good. <laughs> uh, my number eight is Spike Lee's 1989 film "Do the Right Thing." Universal Pictures presents a new film from Spike Lee. Good morning, Miss Mother Sister. Now, Mookie, don't work too hard today. The man says it's going to be hot as the devil. I've been here 25 years. LaSalle's famous pizzeria is here to stay. Trust me. Mookie, the last time I trusted you, we ended up with a son. I know you can't stand it. You can't stand it. Hey, Sal, I'm going to put a wall here. You want brothers on the wall? Love. Get your own place. You can do what you want to do. I'm going to now wrap the rest of uh, Fight the Power. I hate Public Enemy, man. I, kinda, I, I don't mind Public Enemy. They're not, they're not for me, though. I just don't like those beats. I'm just... I'm oh, I like the beats. I'm, I actually like the interplay between Chuck D and Flavor Flav. I just find it, um, I don't know, utilitarian. And I got, I got into rap like so and hip-hop so much later and like my entry was like most and talib Kweli, like that black star record or the roots um things fall apart that roots record was a big record for me so my i got into lupe public enemy fiasco what my entrance to to hip-hop was in rap is lupe fiasco oh <laughs> sorry <laughs> I agree with um, still. So that's it's always seemed really inelegant, but I get it. I get why it's it's necessary. Or tribe call. Oh man, I fucking went well, I like through a tribe huge call. tribe called quest phase back then. Oh, Deltron as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like perfect, Deltron, perfect. Um, the story behind this Mario is that I used to be an asshole. You used to be. I yeah, I used to be. I uh, remember AOL Instant Messenger. Aim. Aim. Remember that? What was your away message? I don't remember. But my handle was guitar playing bear. Mine because was... I had a mug with a bear playing a guitar on it. Mine was Friedkin Fruity. Oh, nice. Based on William Friedkin. And Fruity was a character name I made in like a student movie in high school. Oh, cool. Um, did William Friedkin see it and say, I'm going to make a 
four-hour documentary about that character. I wish. Um, is there a shroud that I can go visit? <laughs> um, so two, there's two specific things with Instant Messenger and movies. And I think they're with the same girl. So this is before I started dating my wife, who would, the girl would become my wife. And I was on Instant Messenger back then, and I was just like, I'm going to watch... Uh, I'm gonna watch the rules of the game. Was like the sexting? first one I did it. Sexting? No, no, no. Just like on the computer. Like, why don't you come over? And I was living at my parents' house still. And I was like, I'm just gonna. What are you? She's like, what are you gonna do tonight? I'm gonna watch rules of the game. This is when the rules of the game DVD came out in Criterion. Which, have good, you seen good, this? That's a good, the movie. The the DVD. No. It's in like translucent blue case, and like it's got a slip case, and it's like made of plastic. I'm forgetting shit. who directed rules of the game right now. Um. Renoir. Renoir, yeah. Um, it's a great movie, though. And so I was like, oh, it's awesome. And I was like, I'm going to watch Rules of the Game. If you want to come over and watch Rules of the Game with me, you're more than... And I was, but I was using, like, I'm watching this old When the school guy f- gets shot, you can suck my dick. Yeah. <laughs> I was using this old school French movie, this Criterion movie, to, like, score points. You know what I mean? And it, 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 I, I can't say that it didn't work. I tried it again, Mario, and I was like, because I had my Roger Ebert great films book by then, and I had seen a bunch of these movies, and I was working through it and stuff like that. So this is in like the very early 2000s, and I was like, I hadn't seen Do the Right Thing yet, but I don't know if you know this or if our listeners know this, Roger Ebert fucking loves Do the Right Thing. Loves it. And his praise is so effusive about it that I was like, I gotta see this movie. Found out it was a Criterion Collection. It's like, oh, Awesome. Went out and I bought it because I didn't rent shit back then because I had a problem as we've dictated. You had a thousand dollar. I had a real bad Criterion problem. Do the right things a Criterion release too, right? Yeah, yeah, Yeah. double disc. So I went out and bought it, and I was like on this messenger, and I was like, "What are you gonna do tonight? I'm gonna watch Do the Right Thing. Why don't you come over and we can watch Do the Right Thing together, like a fucking dick." And things changed for me after that. Because I no longer, and I could I could track it and I can feel it and I know it. I stopped using art to kind of justify my coolness. Like after that night. Oh shit. Because there was nothing. Because I felt like a loser. Like I watched this. I watched this movie express a thing that I that I couldn't even imagine. I couldn't even process that level of expression. You know, or the thing that Spike Lee was trying to express. The sadness was so deep. It, the feelings were so complex. The emotions were so, like, hot that I was just like, fuck. Like, I broke up with that girl. Because, of, because of do the right thing? No, no, no. I, not necessarily because of that, but I just felt... Everything felt like it sucked after do the right thing. Like, I went through this... Uh, uh, like a. I, I mean, I was still an asshole, so, like, I broke up with her by just not talking to her. And then we worked together later. Like, that week. I didn't talk to her for a week, and then we worked together. And she was like, oh, are we going to talk? And I was like, I don't think so. <laughs> and I just, I was not a nice guy back then. Um, not that to say I'm, not, I'm a nice guy now. Um, but, and I'm not going to blame Do the Right Thing on that. I was a dick. But, from an art perspective... I I couldn't I couldn't process other stuff for a little bit. I mean, do the right thing seemed like the most intense expression of what it meant to be like somebody specific that I I had ever seen. And it was 
I'm I don't know I can't claim to know what Spike Lee felt like or what a black person felt like living in Bed Stuy in the 1980s or now or ever. And I wouldn't I'm not going to say that Do the Right Thing got me close to whatever that feeling was, but it opened up like an existential hole in me where I was like I should maybe take my life more seriously. Um on like every level. And everything is not about image and everything is not about coolness and everything is not about like doing, you know, you know, making myself look a certain way or feel a certain way. And I feel like it's, I mean, this is, we're going on like 15 years now since I saw this movie and I'm still kind of working on this a little bit, but it was my first recognition of like, you're doing something wrong. Like you're doing something really incorrect. Um, I, I, I'm not sure that I would necessarily say that it coincided with like a political like sense in my mind because we've talked about politics a lot with your list and we haven't really talked about politics a lot with mine. But I would be remiss if I didn't like think that um, the kind of optimism that I have, the kind of like stupid optimism that I have that like things are going to turn right and the kind of dumb sadness that I have when things don't turn right, you know what I mean? I think probably has a lot to do with like what I thought could be what I th- do the right thing made me think a certain level of activism and, and human engagement was possible and would be celebrated to a certain level. Like, so this movie famously didn't win any Oscars because it he got didn't nominated even get, for two get best uh, a screen original screenplay and supporting and actor for Danny Aiello, yeah. who is not a great guy. Uh, for I think he's pretty, I think he's pretty questionable from a race standpoint. I think now. Is he dead? He's dead. Uh, maybe he's not. No, he's dead. No, no maybe he's no. not complicated. Maybe I'm thinking of something oh, else. Oh, I meant like from a performance standpoint. And I'm like, it's a fairly, in a movie that has, I mean, I, I would dominate Ozzy Davis over him. I would dominate probably, but I would dominate, this would be a thing if this was, if we were doing this podcast and we were making lists when Do the Right Thing came out, my whole thing would just be pe- people on this thing. I really wanted to ask you this really quickly. Yeah, yeah. I don't know how, how, how familiar are with the history of it. What's people's opinions of Spike Lee's performance in this? Because I think he's fucking amazing. I think he's pretty bad. I think his people's opinions that Spike Lee shouldn't be in his movies. I think he's great. I can't even imagine what this movie would be without him. He's it's fucking perfect. Everything he does in this movie is perfect. I forget it's Spike Lee. Like Spike Lee's like just he's just the Spike Lee. The Spike Lee face is like right. a he's, Spike Lee face. He's like a, I remember when you first see him and you see him in a Bulls jersey, and I'm like, what the fuck is Spike yeah, Lee yeah. doing in a Bulls jersey? And then eventually I'm just like, oh, it's a movie. <laughs> yeah, but that's the thing. I think he's fucking amazing. I think it's this movie. So, you know, for people that don't know, it's a, it's a, it's a, it all takes place in a day. It's like a really hot day. Oh, man. Um, and does fucking Ernest Dickerson do a great fucking job? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, this is one of those movies that, like, it, I, it's, it's what, January 20th when I you saw this? You feel it. I you felt feel hot it. watching yeah. this movie. Um, I turned down the heat. <laughs> I'm not, that's not a joke. Like Did I you rub felt, ice on your I actually felt. I, mean, I, wish, <laughs> I, I wish I had somebody to rub the ice on. Um, I sat it on my hand for a bit and then rubbed it on myself to pretend it's somebody else. Uh, yeah, no, it it looks great and it's hot. Yeah. Um. So yeah, Mookie works at Sal's Pizzeria. Sal's Danny Aiello, his two sons work there. Bed Stuy. Um, John Turturro plays Pino, who is fucking great. Um, Richard Edson, who I love, 1980s Richard Edson fan here, working with Jim Jarmusch and stuff as Vito, also very good. 
Um, and he's, still, just, he's still around doing yeah, stuff, yeah. right? They're just going about their day. And everything is kind of the same as it always is. Except Buggin' Out, played by an amazing Giancarlo Esposito. And I love... To, this is if we. You know, I don't know how long this conversation is going to be. I love movies where side people, where minor characters become like cultural icons. Like Giancarlo Esposito is bugging out. Bugging out is a is a thing in and of itself. You know what I mean? He is a fully realized expression of some kind of cultural feeling, and it's just fucking great. Mm-hmm. I just love him, and that's the same thing with like. Martin Lawrence and his crew, you know what I mean? And the guys that are kind of running with Martin Lawrence there. And, and the same thing with Radio Rahim. They all, um, they all embody a certain attitude. Or oh, the, three, the three guys on the chairs. Yeah, or the three guys. Oh, I love the fucking three guys. Big Dick, Sweet Dick Willie. Um, is, that, love, is that Frankie Faison is one of them, right? Yeah, yeah, is yeah. He's yeah. coconut. He's coconut. Yeah, yeah, coconut yeah. Said. Um, And... Bugging Out goes into Sal's pizzeria to get a slice, and he notices that there's only Italians on the wall, and he wants some black folks on the wall. The argument for is that the money that Sal makes to run his pizzeria is all money from black people. Black people fund his establishment. He's been there for 25 years. Most of the, you know, Sal's really proud of that. These people have grown up on his pizza. He's saying all the reasons why he should put some black people on his wall of fame, but he just can't see it because it's his thing you know what i mean he's got this cultural blinder on i own this thing it's me it's an expression of myself i'm italian italians on the wall he doesn't want to do it uh he kind of stages a I mean the kind of through line is that bugging out wants to stage a boycott that eventually only radio rahim who is played by the great bill nunn who walks around this street with this massive fucking boombox blasting fight the power um, he's does, the does only a great Night of the Hunter recreation. Yeah, which is just amazing. I mean, um, so we get him, and you get Smiley, who's walking around selling pictures of Martin Luther King and Malcolm X. Um, he even offers one up to. Sal. I love that scene when he offers one up. Like Sal could just say right there, like, "Oh, there's a picture. I could just like, doesn't have to be a frame." And Smiley does that at the end. Um, things get out of hand when they. When Buggin' Out goes into the pizzeria at the end of the night with Radio Rahim and he demands you put a put some black folks up on the wall and and, and Sal goes crazy and destroys Radio Rahim's boombox and Radio Rahim jumps over the counter and this this fight spills out into the street and then the cops come and they fucking choke Radio Rahim to death. And then Mookie has to make a choice and he chooses to throw a garbage can through the window of Sal's and they burn the place to the ground. Uh, I remember watching it for the first time with this girl that I had asked to come over to watch it with me, and I forgot she was there. That whole last 45 minutes is just, like, this breathless kind of experience, and, like, the same thing happened when I watched it this last time uh, to do this thing. It is, like, an overwhelming, like, end, one of the most overwhelming endings to a movie. I think maybe my favorite, like, film ending ever. Um, But... It's just the emotions are so complicated. And you root, I think, Mookie, you root for Mookie if you're a certain kind of person. Uh, but you also understand, like, Sal literally just said you're like a son to me. 
Sal also doesn't treat him like a son all the time. Uh, but he kind of also does treat him like a son sometimes. And it's a really... I think this film... This is one of those things where if like the Nobel Society was just like... Oh, that Bob Dylan thing is not like a a weirdness. Like Spike Lee, here's a literary a Nobel Prize in literature for screenwriting yeah. would not fucking surprise me. And it would start with this because this is fucking Shakespearean in its complexity. It's it's it's, it's I can't even express the way that this I can't even really express anymore the way that this movie makes me feel because it's fucking changed. The world has changed so much but so little. It's changed so little. What are we fucking talking about? You know, this just fucking happened. Well, and the world fucking, like, every, and people threw fucking garbage cans through windows all over the fucking world. But still, you know, we're not figuring shit out. And it's weird. It just makes me feel so fucking weird. I, I hate it. I hate the way that all this shit makes me feel. I guess that's the idea. But I also don't know what to do. You know what I mean? I also don't know how that should... I don't know how any of my feelings should manifest themselves. And I suppose... And then I'll turn it over to you. I suppose to this film's credit, any movie that's as good as this should... Any movie that's doing its job should make you feel some kind of thing. Like, and make you feel it viscerally. And... Or or any movie that you're saying is going to be one of your favorite movies should be kind of like tearing you like up in some way now i'm not saying it should make you feel bad it should just make you feel something big or remind you of something big or should be like this really intense experience that you can't carry this visceral experience of watching it and understanding it and, and living with it um for a while and i that's the thing i just carry i feel like i carry aspects of do the right thing in my pocket and one day i'm gonna i'm gonna unfold it and i'm gonna open it up and i'm gonna understand the world a little better um, but I suppose the reason it's here is because I probably won't. And I'm just going to kind of die one day, not ever being able to reconcile, like, why my country is so fucking racist. And, like, why Spike Lee was able to articulate this thing perfectly in 1989 and we still haven't figured it out, like, 30 fucking years later. And we're still having the same kind of arguments over the exact same fucking things. It's weird. And to speak to Armand White, he now says this. He loved this movie when it came out, and now he says it's a cop-out. <laughs> I think... So this is my first time really sitting with this film all the way through. Um, we talked before about I'm not like a huge Spike Lee guy. Like, because my experience with Spike Lee has been more kind of the modern, mm-hmm. like post-bamboozled mm. Spike Lee. Um, I love He Got Game, but everything else beyond that, like, I just never really responded with... Uh, I also love Summer of Sam. Summer of Sam almost made my list. Um, but a word that you said to me struck true, which is Shakespearean. Mm. Um, and the reason that strikes through to me is that when this movie's made, it's really easy to present the point of view of like an us versus them situation mm-hmm. of like humanizing Luki and bugging out and Radio Rahim. Um, and kind of placing up these caricatures of Sal um, and Pino and, uh, you know, maybe having Vito kind of be the token kind of, like, guy who crosses over. But there is a lot of effort to kind of, like, humanize everyone from all sides, even to even to a certain degree, Pino, 
who has that like great scene where Totoro and Ayala are kind of sitting down and Pino's vulnerable and says like my friends make fun of me mm-hmm. you know just really humanizing it and and that is that's what like startled me with this film sitting with it um, not that scene but just the fact that like I don't know, it's a perfect storm of, of me confronting this. I, I just got finished reading Isabel Wilkerson's like cast, mm-hmm. um, you know, just about the subservient cast uh, in America and like the dominant cast, uh, you know, black versus white, and kind of like this entire, uh, the, the especially kind of ideas of eternalized racism mm-hmm. that bleed through. Um, and Sal represents that. Like Sal has has a, has a forward thinking person is not a racist. Um, he is somebody who. You know, is stuck in, is in his community, who who takes pride in it. But like when pushed against a wall, as he is like when they they confront him about putting up on the wall, putting the, a black person on the wall, the first thing he can think of is a racial epithet. You mm-hmm. know, it's it's that internalized racism coming to to a boil, um, and it would be easy to then make him into the solid villain there. And Spike Lee doesn't do that. Spike Lee does the Shakespearean thing. The, the thing of, you know, you see in, in Macbeth, you see in Hamlet of, of where you have clearly denominated protagonists and, and villains, but yet you have those scenes within the middle acts of, of kind of like the alternative point of view. Mm-hmm. Spike Lee does that here. And Spike Lee does that in the sense of, you know, not only you can see kind of Pino's worldview, but then when the one of the greatest scenes to me is the fucking... One of the last scenes of the film of Sal and Mookie arguing his pay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's that's a brilliant scene. Um, not because it generalizes and says like they're both humans. Mm-hmm. It it says like there's real because it, it I mean it says that it says they're both people who respect each other on a on a level of being people. When you remove all the crap, they're when just, you remove all the yeah. crap, but the crap, but Spike Lee is like, like when you remove all the crap, it's it's fine. Yep. Spike Lee says, like, when you remove all the crap, it's fine, but the crap is still there. There's still, like, this real, it's now been said, you know, Sal's crossed that line. Mookie's kind of, like, like took his position. Um, no matter how much these two people respect each other as individuals, there's now this clear divide between them mm-hmm. because of uh, a matter of perspective and a matter of privilege and whatnot. And I think that's just masterful mm-hmm. is in the sense of like, they're both incredibly flawed people, not because of inherent intrinsic things, but because of a system around them and an ideal around them. that's kind of made it this way. Like the villain of this film through and through is Ed Koch. <laughs> Ed Koch is the bad guy of yeah. this movie. Like well, Ed Koch and like the education system. I don't know. I don't system. know. I don't know. Well, I, I think that's all systemic. Of, of yeah, Ed yeah. Koch. I guess that's true. Yeah, I, yeah. I mean, I don't know how you feel about that, but I think like yeah. the, the brief references to Ed Koch speak volumes well, to and, what this is saying. And, and not even like, that because like the fact that, that you know Ozzy Davis I mean, Ed plays, Koch is already a piece of fucking yeah. garbage and, from his handling of the AIDS crisis. Ed, um, Ozzy Davis plays Mr. Mayor, and I think the 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 idea behind a Mr. Mayor who's like speaks in history. Like he tells all these historic. Like he's been someplace. He's seen some things. These are the his, stole first to whom, right? These are the people that. So I think Spike Lee is suggesting that that like we should be lifting up the people that know our heritage. These are the people that write our our futures are on the backs of like the things that these people did. 
um, and not necessarily. And so when I say the education system, it's that when those guys that those those four people that are you know go into the pizza place at the end of the end of the movie, Martin Lawrence's crew, when they're you know they're having that exchange with um, Ozzy Davis, and he's like they're talking about like you're drunk and like all this other stuff, and I would never do that. And Ozzy Davis is like you can't you don't know anything about me, you can't like know anything about me until you can't say anything to me until you've experienced this level of pain and that guy's like oh, i'm never going to experience that and it's because they don't know their whole life is wrapped up in the idea in in image you yeah know what i mean he's present spike lee is like really you know um it's overt but it's also so well well um wedded to like the culture of that specific time and place that it doesn't feel that obvious um but these guys don't they don't know what that stuff comes from being black to them means being like wearing a certain clothes or like doing a certain thing or saying a certain thing and it's in to ozzy davis it means something to to the mayor it means something totally different and that's that's like also like one of the more beautiful scenes is just like when mother sister just loses it seeing the fire and seeing radio raheem yeah and just screaming no 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 it has this encapsulation of like seeing the cycle kind of repeat itself and you know you never get a sense of like you're gonna break free from it but just like it being so in your face that just like the the problems of yesterday are still here and still just as apparent and she just has that breakdown after yeah. being such a, a figure of strength and kind of like um you know, like stubbornness sort of you know of, of just a, a character resilient and, and steadfast in their way and just seeing her break down like that over just everything falling apart and it kind of has this feeling of just like, I know what this is. I know what it will be. Yeah. I thought we could have stepped away from it. And and that's that's the thing that's that's just beautiful about this movie is like it's saying so much on the for being such an overt film, mm-hmm. like an overt film in terms of its Dutch angles, being such an overt film in terms of it, of of its of its performances, like everyone's such a like a character. Everyone's so larger than life there's so much intricacies in terms of the emotional state being told in terms of of the things within the fringe in terms of that kind of simmering pot Mm. that's going to make everything boil over Mm. and it satisfies by boiling over Mm. Like you just wait the whole. I mean, you movie. don't want it. You don't want it. You don't want it to, but you know it's, it's gonna, funny, yeah. and you don't know how it's gonna. But it, when it does, it's fucking operatic. It's it's beautiful. I mean, like the, the it's horrifying, but the construction of that shit, of of the horror that happens to that street is is composed but so beautifully. The constraint then to just like let it explode, but then ultimately to let it retract is is what's genius. Well, because he retracts to what he retracts to. Uh, mother sister screaming you know what i mean he retracts but then even like the next day you know sure 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 but like it's it's because it's he lets it go big and then that's like good writing you know what i mean where he then focuses back like it's a big picture bigger picture obviously it's bigger picture it's racism in america it's racism in new york it's racism throughout history but then he just takes it right back down to like these people. But it's, it's still it's, these people, and it's also genius in the fact that it speaks volumes to like when he mentions, you know, like all the people who have been murdered over the past few years, like Michael Stewart and the Howard Beach incident yep. and all that. In the fact that like these are enormous issues and, and and moments that are telling of the culture of all, but the very next day they're forgotten. 
Yep. The very next day, things are back to business as usual. The That's mayor's right. there to form a blue committee or whatever, a blue ribbon committee. Mm-hmm. You know, and that it's blue ribbon well. committee to investigate the people, not the, the property. Police. No, the property, property damage, damage yeah. not the people. Um, and that speaks volumes to like everything that's <clears> happening, and it's it's it sucks that you could make this movie today and they'll just be like, yeah, it's same thing. Yeah, you know, like it doesn't anything change. Well, they might as well just like dub in like 2020, like into yeah <laughs> into the movie when if they ever say like the I date. Mean, you could make this movie today and it nothing changes. I'm surprised what changes. I'm surprised Netflix hasn't paid Spike Lee. To make an updated version of this with like modern actors and actresses. I am Bill de Blasio has like an, a one African American on his committee. That, Bill that's de, the difference. Bill de Blasio's great mayor, right? He's <laughs> he's a really good mayor. <laughs> Did you mean Mayor Andrew Yang? Because we've already decided that. Oh, that'd be cool. I'm excited. It for that. seems like it's already happening. Good, good for Andrew Yang. That's like that's like a place a career goes to die. But no, like that. What's What's just amazing about this film is just like how timeless it is, but it's timeless in in two ways. It's timeless. I don't. I feel like I'm taking over your. No, no, no. I said a lot of things. Um, it's taking over. It, it it it's timeless in the sense of it has those old theatrical elements of of yep of a Shakespeare, but it's also timeless. But also in a the movie. more horrific, in, and also a movie, but it's also timeless in the horrific sense that like nothing has changed. Right, and it's. I, I and it's. I mean the the fact when they say like they they go to destroy the Steve Parks like market and they say no he's like one of us, you know you look at that today and just be like you could see that being um, a, a Mexican market. Well, you just and but you also saw that like a couple of years later with the L.A. riots like that was what happened. I mean, in it, that shit was gone by then in L.A. Where the blacks and the Koreans were like at each other's throats, no. like they burn. I mean, and it's it's a place. It's a thing with which it's so seminal. It is a thing with which to chart some of the ways that the culture has changed and some of the ways that the culture I, has not changed. I and just, it's I it's don't know. I intense. Just, I mean, almost I want to have this be off podcast. I just don't get it because, like, I'm super prejudiced against white trash people. Mm. Like, I see. A white guy, like, basically, I see a NASCAR shirt and I automatically just make judgments. But like, well, dude, I I feel, I feel that way too when I drive around my town and I see like people with American flags made out of pallets on their street on their and like nailed to trees and stuff. And I'm like, these fucking people. But I think that's on me, and I think. Yeah, it's on. It's on like me, but and I, yeah. and I and I but I don't know what to I don't know what to do about it because generalizing people seems so much easier than trying to understand the specific nature of their existence and why they might feel the way that they feel. I mean, and if it's breakdown. If you if any of the pieces of shit that like got arrested for storming the Capitol break down their life, if you talk to those people, break down their life, they're not there for no reason. Their life sucks. I'm sure. I'm sure it does, and I'm sure there's some shit that fucking happened that made them, like, you know, uh, seek whatever they were seeking online or, you know, were um, radicalized or whatever. It's, it's, it's just like the nature of the culture, and it's getting worse. I think that's the interesting thing about Do the Right Thing is that, like, Do the Right Thing on its surface seems like the worst thing that could happen, but it's not. 
it got so much worse. Yeah. After do, after do the right thing. After Spike Lee showed us in 1989 what is the worst of like mo- the worst aspects of modern culture and modern policing and the way that the police and, and and civilians interact with each other and all this other stuff and the way that different races interact with each other, it got fucking worse. The tornado's coming, Mario. We'll be back with my number eight, which is uh, decidedly (laughs) cultural significant. I don't know. Welcome back. (laughs) Feel that from you. Uh, Man, this is. It's good to follow like a big cultural movie with like a very personal experience movie. Makes me feel like a real douchebag white guy. I am a douchebag white guy. You you were once an asshole. I still very much uh, dwell in my assholeness, ladies. <laughs> my number eight came out in 2009. I don't know if I've talked about this in the podcast, but I'm a West Coast boy. Living on an East Coast world. You have talked about um, I'm, I'm No, I have. But... Uh, <laughs> I don't know if I talked about for the longest time in college, for about three years, I was in a very serious relationship that was basically an engagement. Uh, Mm. We never officially got engaged, but there was definitely like a promise ring, which in like 2007 was not a weird thing. It was a perfectly normal thing. Um, I was in a very serious relationship that uh, ended up having a significant amount of cheating involved um not on your end not on my end at all uh but you know there was there there always felt to be something a little more there mm-hmm. and so i always kept coming back and always kept coming back and eventually at a certain point around 2008 things kind of like normalized and there, i felt like a real strong connection and then i graduated college and the world blew up um thanks g dub uh and just can't keep his mask on (laughs) yeah he cannot keep him and clinton could not keep their masks on um and i uh got a job offer which ultimately fell through thanks g dub out here in alzheimer's research in connecticut and i took it and i broke up with the person i was seeing for a long time to come out here and I had a hard time with it. I, I, I had a hard time with it. You know, I, I don't think I met you until like a year afterwards, mm-hmm. a year and a half afterwards. You know, I, I kind of stumbled through jobs, taking jobs that I wasn't happy with. Um, like I liked the bookstore, but it wasn't. <laughs> you were destined to do. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and so I was in a real rough patch in in 2009 this is even before i got the bookstore job um i've figured things out since then ladies don't worry uh and in the fall of 2009 i flew back to reno um and i you know spent some time with my friends and then one night i spent some time with the girl the woman i had been involved with she was in a relationship at that point and she had said, we should give this a try. If you, you should come back and we should give this a real go. Hmm. 
And I, I don't know if I ever told you about this story. I don't think so. Not yeah. this part of it. Uh, like we should, we should like make this a thing. Like make this the permanent thing. Like I'm, I, I want this to be the thing. And uh, I was on board, one hundred percent on board. Um, but I was like, I, I need to think about it a bit. Like I can't. My parents had moved out to Connecticut. Um, I, I kind of felt like it was giving up if I did this, and so I was like, let me, let me, let me sit on it and sleep on it and, and think about it. And I had a fr- and next day, kind of woke up and I was like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm gonna come out here. I'm gonna find. A- back to Reno. I'm going to find a job. I'm going to go for this. I love this woman. Um, you know, I'll, I'll figure stuff out. You know, I, I can make do. I can couch surf for a while until I figure stuff out. Mm-hmm. Um, like she was offering me to stay at her place and whatnot. I, I can, I can get this, I can get this to work. Uh, and a friend at the time worked at the Riverside Century Movie Theater. In Reno? In Reno. On, it was on a riverside, pretty great. Uh, and he, uh, you know, during my time in college, I I would see like sixty to seventy movies a year mm. in two thousand six and two thousand seven, two thousand eight. That's why like everything's peppering my list is from those years because yeah. I saw so many movies and it kind of defined my like film uh, vernacular. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was still working there, and you know, it just so happened that this movie had had come out. Uh, like the the Thursday before, I think the the week before, um, and I hadn't, you know, I I'd, had spent most of my money on the ticket out there, so I wasn't really like I hadn't I was saving up everything for this trip, so I hadn't gone and seen it um, out here in Connecticut, and so I I desperately needed to see it because it was a Coen Brothers movie. Mm. Um, it's the first one after No Country. Right, I think no. I think True it, Grit was right after. Or? No, I think Burn After is Burn After Reading in between these two. I thought Burn After Reading before. No, I think it's No Country then Burn After Reading. Oh, okay, right. Uh, let me check. Um, yeah, Burn After Reading is a two thousand. Oh, okay, so like yeah, you know, Burn After Reading kind of like a minor feature, and then this movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I saw this movie before I was going to see her that night, and I watched it, and I couldn't help. But feel an eminent brothership with Larry. Feel a a certain, like, understanding that, you know, I had to make decisions in my life. And it's not what this movie's about Mm -hmm. at all. But watching this man's story and having him be a passenger in his life and feeling... You know, you know, not, not ever taking really the, a stance. Always kind of letting people kind of like direct him in a certain way. Um, maybe go fuck it, and and not ever making and and you know being a type person. He's he's the type of person who just never takes, never takes a real chance at things. Kind of always looking for direction and never mm-hmm. kind of just jumps into it himself. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess until the end when that's the wrong decision. Mm-hmm. Um. It made me go to her and be like, later night, I said, no, I'm going to, I, I, you know, I said like, I'm, I want, I, what I said was, I want to give this a chance. I want to give Connecticut a chance, um, and, and come back to it. 
and see how we both are. Mm-hmm. She eventually ended up marrying that guy she was dating, and uh, I'm happy I didn't end up in that uh, in that position because I think I would have been. I think I would have been Larry, not bookstore Larry, but this Larry. Um, that guy's awesome. Yeah. He loves himself some cheap trip. He would have said yes to Santana. <laughs> yes, he would have. Um, and so I, I guess this is this is one this is the one movie I could look at and be like, that definitively changed my life. Because I guess it very much did. Mm. And that movie is the 2009 Joel and Ethan Cohen, A Serious Man. Please, I need help. I've had marital problems. Honey, I think it's time that we start talking about a divorce. Larry, we're going to be fine. <laughs> Professional, you name it. Larry, we've received a number of letters denigrating you and uh, urging us not to grant you tenure. I need help. We're going to be fine. I've tried to be a serious man. We're going to be fine. Tried to do right, be a member of the community. We're going to be fine. Please, just tell him I need help. Please. We're going to be fine. I need help. We're going to be fine. Larry Gopnik is a middle-class man in late 1960s uh, Minnesota, living with his wife, a, a good Jewish life. His son is about ready to do his bar mitzvah. His daughter wants a nose job, and he's about ready to get tenure, and everything just goes to shit. Um, <laughs> that bar mitzvah scene is one of the great fucking scenes. Yeah. <laughs> his, his brother... Moves into the house. His brother's got some eccentricities. Uh, his his wife and assist. Yeah, and assist. Uh, his wife reveals that she's been emotionally cheating on him with uh, family friend Cy Abelman. Was this <laughs> now? Was this Memola. Fred Melman's first movie? It can't be. I thought because he was the he was. I, the, had, I had seen Fred Melman before this. I thought wasn't he like a voiceover guy? No, this was not. Maybe it's not. But I just remember that Fred Melman being in this movie was a big... Melamed was a big... I guess it was, but I just remember him from other stuff. Maybe I just remember his voice from, like, Courage the Cowardly Dog and stuff. But now he just seems like he's everywhere. Oh, it looks like he's he's uncredited in a bunch of Woody Allen stuff. Yeah, I'm sure I don't recognize him from that. But I just remember seeing him in this and being like, oh, I know that guy. Uh, but his wife's leaving him. Uh, his student, Clive, who's failing, is trying to bribe him. The Columbia Records people are trying to get him to pay up. <laughs> Uh, and, you know, just everything's going not his way, and Larry doesn't understand why, and Larry's trying to find guidance from his rabbis why, and, well, the rabbis are telling him to look at a parking lot or look at some teeth and to figure shit out. What happens to that goy? Who cares about that goy? <laughs> uh, and so Larry <laughs> dwells through a lot of existential crises, a lot of questions of morality, and he always tried to, to stay the straight and narrow. This is my first introduction to Michael Stuhlberg, by the way, mm, yep. which I'm glad. Oh, he's the Because Michael Stuhlberg best. is just, 
I'd rather see Michael Stuhlberg and be like, oh, I wish that wasn't a Michael Stuhlberg. Even thing. when he's been like, so what was it? Uh, uh, Seven Psychopaths. He's in like the very beginning of Seven Psychopaths. Yeah. And when he dies, I'm just like, oh, come on. Come on. He comes back, right? <laughs> Does he come back? No. No, he doesn't. I was going to say, he doesn't come back. Like, I'm, I'm okay with uh, Michael. What's his face dying from Funny Games? Oh, uh, Michael Pitt. Yeah, I'm okay with Michael Pitt no. dying, but. Michael Stuhlberg is. Yeah, no. Is what are you doing? Um. But he always tries to stay straight and narrow. He always tries tries to do the morally right thing, but he lets himself kind of get trampled on by others around him. Mm-hmm. Um, and eventually, in the end, uh, he, he kind of allows himself to take the bribe, seeing the bill from his attorney. Fucking Adam Arkin. Oh, I love Adam Arkin. Oh, man, I always love... I do love Adam Arkin, too. I was a big Chicago... We were a big Chicago Hope family. I house. loved him in Halloween H2O. <laughs> same yeah basically the same uh and he changes clive's grade to a c because clive you know he understands the parables he just doesn't get the math i love clive basically the same (laughs) very difficult i have that very difficult (laughs) i did not leave anything (laughs) culture clash Uh, and and that's when he, I assume, gets cancer, and his uh, son is m- killed in a tornado because God has decided to come back with a vengeance. Um, yeah, for, I we talked about No Country for Old Men. I watched No Country for Old Men, you know, after not sleeping for twenty four hours, and you know, it is my introduction to Cormac McCarthy and, and everything. But I was, I watched that movie enthralled. Um, the Coen brothers play a very pivotal role in my film experience. We're not done with mm-hmm. the Coen brothers, and we have seven movies left, and we've talked about them twice in the last, <laughs> in couple, weeks. last couple of weeks. So that or, should say yeah, the last couple list entries. Yeah, that should say a lot about how much the Coen brothers mean to me, um, and this enthralled me in in all of those ways. Um, and and the reason it enthralled me was I I couldn't help. But see a lot of myself in Larry, and I don't know if I'm supposed hmm. to see myself in Larry, but I did. You know, always trying to do the right thing, but always trying to like keep the peace. Always trying to like keep things on the straight and narrow, and then having that tremendous fear that when I didn't, that's when like the punishment would come down. That's mm-hmm. when the world would kind of burn to the ground in front of me. Yeah. Um. And. I don't know, the, the, the Coen brothers have always kind of spoke to the narrative of my life in the sense that, like, they kind of say the things I need to hear when I approach them. Mm-hmm. They're the, the chorus to the main character of Mario in the most uninteresting narrative that's ever been told. I do yoga every day, I play some piano, and I read good. ad nauseum forever. It's a good life. I lift, I lift quite a bit, though. Ladies. Ladies. <laughs> You're doing um, something right, and and this 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 struck me at that right moment. Uh, this is is a smaller feature of theirs, but it's so perfectly solid in mm-hmm. its smallness. It's so perfectly contained. It's it's it feels it. it like people say it's semi autobiographical for them, well, and it, it just, definitely has a strict like construct of of their knowledge. And it's of, so specifically about being Jewish, yeah. in a way that a lot of their other movies aren't or all of their other movies yeah. aren't and i've kind of always considered myself basically jewish i thought i was very jewish for a long time because i read nothing but philip roth novels i mean i'm morally we've like, all been there yeah if it wasn't for my love of bacon i'd be pretty jewish 
and like mixing fabrics. I believe I'm wearing a cotton blend right now. <laughs> uh, yeah, this this just it it screamed out at me, and I, I, it's unfortunate that we're not talking about the movie in our special episode next because like this movie rewatching this movie in this 365 days which has been really important to me in terms of like a realignment and understanding who i am mm-hmm. uh thanks coronavirus and other stuff uh like this movie is is definitely like the one of four films the other three movies all come out this year, and one of them we'll talk about on the list. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of like defining the things I don't want to be in two movies, defining the the fears I have from another, and kind of defining the things I want in the last one. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I know a lot of people say, like, art isn't necessarily something to be appreciated, but I've always, art to me is most important when I can place myself next to it. Mm. And Serious Man, I've always been able to place, at that point in time, I could place myself very much next to it. Mm-hmm. Um, I've always felt like I was Larry, that mm-hmm. I, was, I was the type of person who was always trying to do the right thing. But kind of let people, at that point in time, I should say, let people kind of like walk over him and also had these very uh, hedonistic dreams and kind of like carnal dreams, but like always tried to like repress them and whatnot. Um, and it just struck me at that moment. And I just kind of looked at that and, and, and in that moment, seeing it that day, like I hate to say, like sign from fate or whatnot. And I don't think it was. I think it's just pure coincidence. But like that spoke to me as like, if you make the decision to stick to come back here, you are just sticking yourself in place. Um, and that's that's the power of art too, because it's just a movie. Mm-hmm. But it's a movie that like I needed to see at that moment because mm. I think that would have been the wrong mo- move to come to go back. Do you it think if you been. hadn't seen this movie, you would have stayed? I would have come back, and then I would I would have went back to Reno. Yeah. yeah. Really? Mm-hmm. 100%. Yeah. Um, well, I think this... <laughs> not, not, to, not to completely derail whatever conversation we're No, no, because this. I think this movie does demand... It's the first movie that the Coen brothers made that you... That demanded that you actually interact with it as a person. Where I think it's it's interesting in the sense that and Hudsucker Proxy, well, I, I guess <laughs> it's the movie where or maybe not the first no because I think No Country is like the first movie where they're bullshit kind of um, where, where the essence of their movie fights against their shit. There's so there's No Country, then there's this, and then there's Inside Lewin Davis, where the the. The, the nature of the thing resists the Coen brothers' crap. In those two outlying movies, which we've talked about on this podcast, Ad Nauseum, they... Um, I don't think they designed it as such. I think this movie was designed to be taken very seriously. They can't help themselves but be the Coen brothers, but even the funny conversations... Um, you know... The opening thing we heard about the Columbia Record Club, the conversation he has with Simon Helberg, um, 
or whatever the guy's name from the Big Bang Theory is. Um, everything is des- Rabbi Ginsler is designed to be interacted with on a, just a general human level. Like it's 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 their most human film. It's the film that demands the most um, awareness of the viewer of their own humanity. How would you react in situations where literally every single day something really terrible and shitty is happening to you? And even if it's not a big deal, compounded with everything else, you just don't understand how it works. And that's where the mathematician thing I think is really interesting in the sense that he's just like, I can figure, I should be able to figure this out. And that's where, I mean, the genius of this movie is in that first scene with Clive. I understand the parables, I don't understand the math. That's what this movie is. You know what I mean? Where Mm -hmm. it's like, or that's who Larry is. He's Larry's like, I understand the math. I don't understand the parables. I, and I, that's why it's so fucking genius that he goes to all these rabbis and he's like, they tell him oh, little but parable no, no, things. But he understands. No, but at that point, he understands the parables. He doesn't understand well, the no, math. Well, no, but he, that's the thing. But he doesn't understand the parables. That's why he wants to know what happened to the goy. That's why he doesn't get... Oh, like, I understand. You know yeah, what yeah, I mean? Yeah. Like, he's, he understands, like, generally how the... The universe works, but there's all these interpretations and the in- gray areas yeah. that he's just kind of like, but I, but this, but I did this, so why should this matter? Or he did this, so why, you know, how should that factor into it? I guess what I'm trying to say is that, like, no, it's no, the, he still, he still understands. That's still understanding the parable, not understanding like, the math. No, he understands. He understands like why it, what happened, no, but he, he doesn't understand he why understands it how it happens from point A to point B. But he doesn't understand what it means to the larger context of who he is. So he's being offered all of these little examples wonder, of, of, of how he's supposed to interact with life. And he's just like, I can't. And basically what he's saying is, I can't do that. I don't know how to do that. So the guy is just like. Interesting, because I, 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 I take the same point of view, but I, I take it as him being the same as Clive and getting the overarching what that means no, but understand the purpose of what that's supposed to he be. He always in both of those stories, those specific stories with the two rabbis, he understands the point they're making. He under he tells them the point they're making. So he's like, you know, what does he make the comment to the um Simon Helberg? He makes the comment of like, oh, he's you know, about the boss and you know, about perspective mm-hmm. and stuff like that. He's like, oh yes, it's perspective. It's all about seeing things from a different way and whatever. And he understands the, the teeth story. He like kind of gets the idea of the teeth story, but there's what happened to the goy is like the thing that he like now then what? And he's just like, well, you know, he you know lives his life and blah blah. blah and he makes a comment after that. So he, the goy who cares about the goy? He gets it, but he doesn't see how it. He doesn't see how it connects yet. And I think that's an interesting thing. Part of the movie is that when he gets into that car accident and he and Sai gets into a car accident at the exact same apparently at the exact same moment, um, that's like a break for him. You know what I mean? That becomes what he's... I, I think he, when he mentions that when he's talking to Marshak's secretary or he's talking to somebody. And and he just kind of doesn't see how... He's trying to make those two facts connect themselves and he just kind of can't. Um, and it's it's it's... Yeah, just kind of it's it's fascinating how they kindly kind of finally settled on making this movie that's just very 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 human, and it it even when it's ridiculous, 
it's so human in its ridiculousness. Um, and then, you know, even at the end when they decide to play God and just kill people um, or kill these characters off, it still makes a lot of it still makes a lot of sense and is like it feels shitty. Like the ending is rough. I mean, not like in a bad way, in like a existential way. Like, oh Jesus! Like, <laughs> like you thought this movie was dark. It's not even as dark as it's ever going to get yet. And it's great because then the color saps out of it, and there's just this big black thing just coming, you know, charging at that school. Um, yeah, it's awesome. It's a good one. I feel like we. There needs to be more said about it, but I think that covers it. Well, I mean, it's it's weird because I don't have it's weird when you don't have the same connection like to something that you that the other person does because I just found it so funny, like, and I just love certain aspects of it. Like I said, like the the bar mitzvah scene, the shots of his friend being high, yeah, is so fucking good. Well, but I'm just like. From my level, it's just so funny. It's actually for me, it's like one of the funniest. Coen oh Brothers no, it's, it's hilarious to me too. I, I think I think what's going to be interesting is I think a lot of this conversation to me is being curtailed because it all connects in to my number one. Like this year is a weird year for me mm-hmm. as a person, um, and the fact that like three movies kind of play into from this year play into two, my number I'm, one. I, can, I know one of them. I can guess the other one. I'm curious. We'll do off air what the third one is. This year, um, well, one's yeah, yeah, one's not from this year. Um, you said three from this year and this one, yeah, right. Well, technically, one's two are from 2020, yeah. one is from the future, yes. Um, <laughs> I know what the future one is, uh, let's put it that way. And it's it's interesting just because you know, and and when I put this on my list where it was. Like that's it had just played a role in terms of um making that kind of pivotal change to me. And it's a pivotal film in the fact that it's like a pivotal life film. And I think I think this is a good movie to be like a pivotal life film in a sense, because it does say like it's it's a it's not a weak man, but it's definitely a man who allows himself to kind of be a supporting character in his life. Without any sort of like incrimination of that, well, yeah, it never incriminates that. Yeah. It never incriminates the fact that he's just able. He's comfortable with just like kind of going through life being a decent man. Well, so I, I think to push back on that, and not in the same way that we've been pushing back on it, I think he's definitely supporting character in his life. But I think the interesting thing is that like life is saying you are are a supporting character in your life, and he's just like how. And actually, you know, and some of that, the conversation that he first has with his wife about Cy Abelman, he's literally saying that, like, I don't understand how this works. Like, I didn't do anything wrong. I didn't do anything wrong. Right. And he's just kind of like, I don't Some of the get best it. marriage arguments ever. Yeah. Well, even with the Columbia Record Club guy. And he's just, he's just like, I didn't do anything. And they're like, that's exactly right. Because you didn't do anything, now you're getting charged yeah. for all this other stuff. And he's just like, I don't want any of this. I don't want any of this to happen. Why do you listen to Santana Abraxa? It doesn't matter if you listen to Santana Abraxa. The next one you're getting is Cosmos. I know I keep going back to that. I fucking love that scene. I love that scene so much. It's, like, really hard to express how much, like, every time I watch that scene, it, like, 
and I don't watch a lot of YouTube clips. I've YouTube, I've watched that clip on YouTube like a hundred times. Well, it's because it's a mixture it's of like, so good. it has like like wordplay and everything onto it. And well, and I just, I mean, I, I connect with that like basic fact. I did that to my dad, um, and that's not like why I connect with this movie, but I find it very funny because that's just a very common thing to do to a parent. I did that too, but I actually signed the agreement, mm-hmm. and then. They couldn't enforce it because it was a minor that signed it. Oh, nice. Take that. Um, Smart. I mean, I didn't intend it that way. It's just how it worked out. But yeah, no, it's just, it's, it's such a, it's a film that, that just works in so many ways because it's not an indictment on anything. Mm. It's not an indictment on what he is. It ends up being an indictment of what he chooses to do, but at that same time, it's like, Making kind of like a absurdist point of like, is that mean anything still? Well, it's a kind of a do the right thing problem because he's like, if I think he thinks if I'm going to take this money, I'm going to change this grade. Like, I think he thinks that he's doing the karmically right thing. Like, if he's going to use the money, he's got to change the grade. But in reality... He could just take the money. He could just take the money or he could be... You know, I don't get the impression that he's a harder teacher, so maybe that's like, a, you know, a thing that they could have done is made it seem like um, Clive was being punished for something. Like, in and of it, you know, um, maybe without him being aware that he was punishing him for something. I'm not sure. Um, but I think it's really, it's a really complicated movie. It's the most complicated movie I think they've ever made. Because I think it's the most vulnerable movie they've ever made. Maybe not for themselves, but definitely for the for the characters. I mean, one hundred percent. This is the most vulnerable any of his characters have ever been. Maybe since William H Macy's character in Fargo. Like he's maybe the only other guy that kind of Jerry Gunderson is is the only other guy that kind of parallels this level of vulnerability. Yeah, emotional vulnerability. Um. What's nice, too, though, is, like, this is, like, one of the first real solid examples of a film presenting vulnerability not necessarily as a fault. Yeah. Which is nice. That is good. It's just open. It's just it's just an open movie. He's yeah. just an open guy. He's never presented as weak. He's just, like... But I think... It's just he's movie. presented as being surrounded by the wrong people. He's being told that he's weak. But I don't necessarily think that, like, he's portraying weakness at any at any No, point. look at his relationship with his brother. Like, his brother's deeply troubled. Like, you get a sense that his brother, like Richard Kine, doing fucking more movies, more people, directors need to give Richard Kine a just, lot of rope to just... Just ten minutes of screen time that empty is just... I mean, ever... But ever after watching, like, Spin City, where mm-hmm. Richard Kine just, like, ate that movie. Like, ate that show. Or like, John Mulaney and the Sack Lunch Bunch. Was he in that... He's like their special guest. Oh, and he does. He hosts the. Okay. He hosts a segment called Girl Talk. I remember that. Um, I was pretty high when I watched that. I mean, drunk. John Mulaney was, I was probably drunk. High I was dr- drunk when I watched that. John not Mulaney high. Was high and drunk when he made it. So <laughs> Jesus, Jesus, <laughs> can't say that yet. <laughs> but no, like I remember watching Spin City and thinking like Richard Kind's just like a fucking beast and like. He shows that again here. But the, when you see the relationship between Larry and Arthur, you can kind of see that Larry can be the supportive 
man, quote unquote, that he needs to be. Mm-hmm. It's just like he's surrounded by people who are toxic to that. And even with his son, like him and his, him and Danny have that have those moments. Like Danny's kind of very needy in terms of like fixing the aerial, but he still kind of relies on him mm-hmm. at points. Um, especially when he says like, "I need the record." The whatever I can't remember the record player's name mm-hmm. like his son kind of really easily relents like Larry's not presented as just an absolutely weak character he's just presented as a character who has a certain eccentricity a certain kind of personality type that's unfortunately surrounded by people who are toxic to that mm. and that's what I enjoy that's another thing I really kind of universally enjoy about this film is just like this movie doesn't like downplay his attitude it's mm. when he kind of steps out of that role mm. finally it's not necessarily like when he does something wrong or evil mm. or bad Mostly it's when he steps man. out of who he is mm-hmm. is when things fall apart mm. i really enjoyed watching mm-hmm. this week's movies i i for i watched this movie on peacock which was an experience with ads yeah nice um but it, it still feels like it's only an hour long. It just fucking blows by, man. And it feels like it's getting away from you at times because yeah. it's just you're enjoying it so much and then you're done. And I've seen this movie so many times and I still like forget stuff that happens. Well, it's just so like cool. when Arthur gets shot in the back of the head during the nightmare, I for a second was like, oh, does he get so killed? Good. I was like, oh, right, nightmare. Well, just the Amy Lendecker stuff as, um, oh, what the uh, f- fucking name? Vivian oh, Samsky. She's so fucking good. She just like owns those scenes, and she's <laughs> yeah. She's just portraying this kind of very cliche. sometimes it has paranoia. <laughs> Wait, those are sirens. <laughs> I uh, I never like realized so how good. matter of factly she does that. Oh, it's so good. And then when she's again with the bar mitzvah scene, but she's he's she's one of the people that he sees, but it's nothing like the friend. Oh man, the the friend just like zonked out. Oh, it's great. Love it. It's a great movie. This is, is a great movie. We'll talk more about it when two we weeks. get to my number. We'll also want to get to my number one. And we get to number one. In two weeks. What happens in two weeks? One of, your, the, one of the movies that makes it relates to we're talking about two weeks. Oh, I'll probably withhold a lot of the conversation oh, okay. until You'll my number one. save it for the number one. Okay. Okay. Um, if you want to talk about movies of 2020, you can tune in next week. Woo woo! When... Read dust off the William Howard Taft Memorial Auditorium. Brush off the seats. Read look at Joe Biden and throw a bunch of fingers in the air because we're going to have 550,000 people in that auditorium. That seats 1,500. Yep. Stacking we're, them up. There's going to be no coronavirus fears because everyone's going to die from suffocation. It's going to be a real come and see. Exactly. But oh, next why week. Why did we get so dark at the end of this <laughs> I mean, it's always dark. Next week, we're gonna we're gonna throw some prophylactics, not prophylactics. What's the drugs I'm thinking of? Some some quaaludes onto the floor. Oh yeah, live from the pivotal film studio. Oh, he's, he's already he's already here. He's warming up. He's warming up. Oh boy, best of 2020. And when we say 2020, we mean it. No Nomad Land. No Judas and the Black Messiah. Nope. That shit's in 2021. Yep. Yep. We're being very strict. And there's a reason why Bill Burr is going to show up on my list. <laughs> it's because we stuck strict with 2020. <laughs> and if you have problems with that, you can tweet us at Film Pivotal. Or you can send us an email at pivotalfilmpodcast at gmail.com. Or you can go to pivotalfilm.com. 
uh, where you can contact us through there, or you can see a list of the movies on our top 100 lists, or the beers that we drank, or how to subscribe to our podcast. Um, I'm very excited about next week. It's going to be interesting. Yeah, I, I, I think I have 17 movies to watch before I'm next Thursday. I'm not 100% sure people will be able to figure out what's going to be on our lists. Uh, we're, as we're last year, it's just, the last it's just couple, Timmy failure. All the way through the, the last list. couple of years, I felt it was like pretty. People probably could have guessed. I mean, I think I think my shit is pretty easy. What? To <laughs> um, unless they didn't, unless they don't know how strictly refined twenty twenty. By the way, movies that are eligible in twenty nineteen Oscars were twenty twenty movies for us. So well, so that's especially true of foreign films, mm-hmm. uh, where like they are French movies per se. <laughs> Um, movies like Portrait of a Lady on Fire, my number damn one movie. Mario! <laughs> all right. So watch all the 2020 movies you can. Um, drink some fucking great beers. Nightmare beer. What is this? Drawn and quartered? Yeah. Fucking crazy. That shit. That's two of these. I didn't even notice it. I mean, maybe I'll halfway home. I'll yeah. like feel it, which will be bad, but. Um, and that can art is fucking awesome. I'm gonna, I wish we had an Instagram. Mario, this is some applause for Nightmare Brewing. Good job. Uh, and we will talk to everybody next week. <laughs>